0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This
2: is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
3: BYU
2: Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, walking you through life one day at a time, one guest at a time. We've got a great show for you today. We will be i um, talking about tuition free policies. You've been hearing it in the Democratic debates, a lot of them are saying, hey, you know what, we've got to, we got we got to just give free tuition. Because if you give free tuition, that'll make sure everybody goes to college, everybody gets good grades, they'll, they'll take their mind off their finances. But is that true? is is free college and tuition free policies does it actually ensure success at college we'll be speaking with Dr. Lindsey Page who's been doing research on the subject out of the University of Pittsburgh we'll get to to them on that topic but um man it is a busy busy day brexit the vote um it's it's underway they are they're Casting their votes to whether to leave, whether uh, Great Britain will leave In- uh,
4: the euro. No, is this a straight zone. vote, or are they having tea and crumpets? What are they doing?
2: Well, you got to have a little tea, okay, between the votes. And I don't know what a crumpet is, hmm. but it sounds fantastic. It sounds ooh with a little like dulce de leche on it. Mm.
4: Probably not going to mix. This this is really about mixing cultures. That's it. And the 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 side that wants to get out. Yeah. They're they're really echoing a lot of we don't want other cultures in our culture. We want yeah. We well that's what so, it sounds like. So it
2: sounds like it has these overtones of nationalism, racism yeah. Yeah. which which, interestingly, many would say we have similar tones locally yeah. here in the and, U.S. And they
4: have a, a a guy with funny hair that's kind of leading the way, yes. the former mayor they of London. They look very much alike. And he, he's saying things that are very Trump-esque, <laughs> if you would. Yeah. So it's kind of – it's an interesting reflection across the pond, if you will.
2: It is. It's a It's a big deal. This is a big moment. And they're saying it can go either way. It really could go either way. But what it could mean is that all of a sudden, you know, Great Britain is no longer a part of the Euro nations. All of a sudden, what do you do then? What do you do? You don't get to go to the parties? No. You, you no longer get benefits? Right? No more free, you know, movie passes? To on where? You know, on Euro day. Oh, on Euro day. Right? It's... They, they never mix the money anyway, so the money's probably going to be all right, right? Maybe. People don't know. But what do you do with the markets? What yeah. do you do with the borders? What do you do with all of the other international laws Ma- that Manufacturing. They used to be part of?
4: Some companies have speculated they could move from. England to mainland Europe just so they're more connected to Europe because they don't want to have problems if there's any sort of oh interesting. trade sanctions because of this mm. uh, all mm. kinds of
2: things could come up. Again, it could go either way and um, because you know what's crazy is now France might they're, they're saying they might want to vote uh, Italy may want to vote now this could I wonder if this is going to create a little stampede, a mass exit
4: plus Greece a um, Mexit. Ooh, a a massacre. Um, well, yeah, I don't know. It's a massacre. Because
2: hmm. if France leaves, yeah, you call that fravoire. What? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, still working on. If that. Spain leaves, what do you call it? Spadios. They have a Brexit. They should have a spadios. Yeah, I could. Or see- is it spandios? Hmm. Spandios. They call them Espana. espanarios That sounds authentic. Actually. Yeah, right there. German. What would they call a German exit? Deutsch aus. Is that like German out? Germany out. Yeah. Hmm. That's good. Hmm. See, I'm telling you.
4: There you go. This is the future. Possibly. Uh, or nothing uh, could happen.
2: Scotland, because Scotland goes with the British exit, it would be um Scotago. go. Know
4: what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Maybe uh, Ireland, I be gone. I be gone. I be gone. I be gone. Land. I don't. Th- they, they'd come up with something more Irish sounding than I be gone. <laughs> I doubt it. Okay. They probably will.
2: Uh, we got that coming up. We'll talk about Brexit. We'll talk about Donald Trump. Man, he's been. Uh, he he had an incredibly profound speech yesterday where he used a teleprompter. We'll get to that, find Hillary Clinton's reply. But first, let's get to the headlines with our own Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on around the rest of the country?
3: Well, this morning, Matt, um, Republicans gaveled the House back into session at 2.30 a.m. this morning, pushing through a partisan bill to fund the fight against the Zika virus and voting to adjourn until after July 4th after trying to end a 16-hour sit-in by Democrats demanding a vote on a Senate bill that would prevent certain suspected terrorists from purchasing a gun. Democrats are still giving speeches at this hour. More than 100 House Democrats participated in the sit-in, waving photos of victims of gun violence, saying, we shall overcome, and live-streaming their protests after House Speaker Paul Ryan ordered the C-SPAN cameras turned off. Libertarian presidential nominee Gary Johnson... And his running mate, Bill Weld, shared their positions on everything from taxes to Donald Trump during a CNN town half Wednesday night. Johnson pledged to, quote, sign on tax policy that would reduce or simplify taxes in this country and said if he had a magic wand, he would eliminate income tax. He would eliminate corporate tax, abolish the IRS and replace it with all one federal consumption tax. When it comes to fighting the Islamic State, Weld said the libertarians would create a thousand person task force treating ISIS as a gigantic organized crime family. According to emails released Wednesday, the State Department temporarily disabled security features on its computer network in December of 2010 in response to a serious technical problem affecting Hillary Clinton's private email server. State Department staffers allegedly disabled software that was intended to block so-called phishing emails, which are capable of giving computer viruses. They were trying to resolve problems with emails not getting delivered properly from the private server. Today in Iowa, radio station will air the first ad by a group of Republicans aiming to deny Donald Trump the GOP presidential nomination at July's Republican National Convention. That ad is financed by courageous Conservatives PAC, a super PAC run by Ted Cruz supporters. Another slate of ads will run nationally on cable TV this weekend. And finally, Matt, Cleveland police did not have an immediate estimate on the crowd's size, but the Cavaliers and officials at the rally said that more than one million people attended the Cavaliers' championship parade. Regardless, fans packed in 50 deep in spots along the two-mile parade route and snarled traffic badly enough to delay some outgoing flights at Cleveland's airport because crews couldn't make it to their planes. So there you go, Matt.
2: Man, thanks, Caitlin. Uh, Crazy um, party. Party in Cleveland. That is, that's cool. I mean, as somebody who loved the jazz and would have, you know, the state of Utah really could have loved a a good championship moment. Or two. Or two. Or, or two.
4: Yeah. They had two shots,
2: right? <laughs> they had two really good shots.
4: The best shot in the second one, but <laughs> someone allegedly Uh-oh. might or may or may not have pushed off. A lot of people
2: were surprised because uh, Sir LeBron James, King James, um, the 15th, I don't know what his number would be, the 23rd. Um, King James apparently went off and, and, and was using a lot of words we don't use publicly. Did you hear this? No. Thirteen times he said a word. Did he swear? Publicly. No. Well, um, again, as somebody – So what
4: you're saying is a pro athlete with a live mic might have said something inappropriate at a championship event. interestingly, something he wouldn't do on ESPN, something he wouldn't do at one of the
2: meetings for one of his uh, stakeholders – but Something he wouldn't do in front of the Cavalier as,
4: ownership, as but a he child, did it in front of the people of Cleveland. As a child who watched Jeez. almost every Chicago Bulls championship parade because it's yeah. on WGN and I had cable as a kid and you oh, just yeah. would yeah, watch yeah.
2: it. That's, yeah, that was the station you had. That's what they do. Right.
4: People with live mics. I know. That are, you know, in a just, celebratory mood tend uh, to loosen up the language a bit. I know,
2: but you're still, you're still a leader of children. Uh, it's fine. Were their kids at the party? Of course. Yeah. His anyway, kids were there. They, I don't know what, <laughs> Mommy daddy said blank 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 blank. I'm sorry. He talks like your father. Father in law. Um talk to me about what's going on in Congress. Apparently a sit-in, Terry.
4: Yeah, a bunch of hippies broke in. And now they're, they're <laughs> Are they all wearing tie-dye
2: shirts <laughs> well, and
4: So last dude. week last week in the Senate they tried a a uh, filibuster yeah. to get a vote and yeah. the, and the republicans agreed and i believe it they voted on was it was four or five different yeah. gun legislation bills and each of them were voted down right voted down they just voted down in response to that because they feel democrats have feel they have failed america uh, the republicans not allowing yeah. not not even Taking re- it. really take they feel they haven't taken this seriously they're just voting right I mean, because the NRA is even like, okay, yeah, we need to probably do something with the no-fly list and things of that nature.
2: Do anything you want but don't do anything with guns.
4: And still Republicans said no. Right. And so they feel like the Republicans have failed America. So now the House is trying to step up and get some bills up so they can vote and go through this process. But the uh, Republican leadership of the House, Paul Ryan and others, are saying no to this. So the Democrats go to the floor and they literally – at about eleven thirty Eastern yesterday, went to the floor, sat down, and sat said, down. "We're not going to move until we get a vote." And at that point, they put the uh Paul Ryan gaveled the uh, the House into recess. All the Republicans left, and the TV cameras turned off. Which which is how that works usually, right? Yeah, C-SPAN doesn't have control over the cameras when they're at when this when the House is out of session, the TV turns off. And, and once they gavel out of session the
2: the tendency or the trend or the rule is that everyone's done everyone leaves
4: everyone goes Yeah. go away there's no reason to be there because right. you're not in session yeah but cuz
2: they they're kind of saying that this is like this is like anarchy because yes. you don't once once we've gaveled out you, the rules are we leave the, the ruling, and now you're breaking the rules the
4: ruling party says there is a decorum yes. and a process in the house and you are Showing no decorum and we're no process.
2: Here's so. Nancy Pelosi explaining why 70 Democrats are uh, sitting on the House floor.
0: Our members are gathered on the floor of the House in protest that we cannot even have a vote because we truly believe
3: that if there were a vote, that we would win the vote.
2: She sounded weird at first. Is she? Is she yeah, I think they're yeah. doing more than having a sit in.
4: Yeah, she might. Yeah, no, but. That's normal for her, I guess. Are they serving beverages? No, good. She's not, you know, under any influences. Um,
2: Paul Ryan, though he's he's trying to gavel this thing out of so order at, and at, say we're done.
4: Get out of here. At about eight o'clock last night, eight Eastern. No, it was ten. It was ten o'clock Eastern. He comes in and tries to restart the business of the house. So gavels it back into session, starts trying to process whatever bill they were working on, which has nothing to do with gun control. It's some Obama yeah. policy there, whatever. And uh, so he, this is him trying to, 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 to begin re, to reconvene the House, I guess you could say
5: seek to express those differences
4: you hear the but democrats the screaming back
5: that the business of the house could be conducted in a fashion that represent that respects positively on the dignity and the decorum of this institution to which we all belong i think
4: he's trying to chew them out they're saying no break no bill as you purposes, can see it's the working
5: from kentucky mr Ryder, seek
0: recognition
4: It just continues. It, it's, it goes on now. Now, in in this next clip, he he, he they actually try to go to a vote on the on bill the they're other talking issue, about. Yeah. It. And it's interesting what happens. So clip nine there.
5: The gentleman from Minnesota, Mr. Klein, is recognized for one hour. One hour.
4: He immediately turns the time back over. Go ahead, Mr. Klein. Say something. He yielded back. He yielded back. He back.
5: The gentleman from Minnesota yields back. The question is on ordering the previous question. Those in favor say aye. Those opposed say no. The opinion that share the ayes have it.
4: <laughs> so he goes, say, <laughs> you know, those in favor say aye. You can't hear anything. Yeah. They say no, and you hear this, no. And he wow. goes, I, I see the ayes have it. And he moves on. Well, and so
2: the funny thing about this, um, these gun bills have been around forever. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, so the Republicans are saying you're only bringing up guns when you should be bringing up terrorism. This yes. was a terroristic act. Talk. Let's talk terrorism. And the Dems are saying, well, it's not terrorism; it's guns. Let's talk guns. So it's a battle of
4: guns versus terrorism, and apparently no one's budging. In fact, one at one point, Willie Gohmert, who is a representative from, I'm not sure, Kentucky, Tennessee, somewhere through there, he walked in and started just screaming. At the uh, Democrat sitting on the floor, he goes, this is about terrorism. It's not about guns. (laughs) I'm trying to sleep. But he was – it was like this sort of hysterical scream instead of – talking to these, you know what I mean? So right. he's, he's angry, yelling, and looks kind of unhinged. And mm-hmm. it's and, and everyone – and this was on TV because – well, it was on C-SPAN, but C-SPAN took the Periscope or Facebook live feeds from the different members of the representatives oh, sitting they? on the floor who were recording on their phone. Yeah, you get a better view. And, and so the second the cameras turned off from C-SPAN – they just picked up their phones and started live streaming,
2: ah. and then C span
4: went oh, and they just switched to the, these live streams, <laughs> oh. and so that went on for like all day yesterday.
2: <laughs> so supposedly all night
4: they it, were. It's there. still going on. It's still going on. Today. I was watching it at my desk before we came in. And here. the
2: question will be: Will they actually make it
4: through the July Fourth of July barbecue calendar? Paul Ryan came in at three thirty in the morning, gaveled the uh, the session. At recess, he said we're done. He closed it, and he said we'll uh, reconvene after the 4th of July. So do you think they'll be able to make it
2: through no. the
0: 4th?
4: I no. mean, these people, there's hot dogs
2: to eat. There's. Yeah. This is where they do their, their politicking. They've got yeah. to go win elections. There's parades to walk around Die. in. Yeah. This is where they get the fanfare, and people love them. Or they can just periscope. I don't know. I bet – was there a lot of uh, no. I, paisley and tie-dye – no, there wasn't any that. And- it,
4: it did seem like this morning the crowd of Democrats was uh, diminished. Yeah. As people would finish their speeches, you'd hear two or three clapping individuals instead of Yay! the 70 that Go, were there yesterday.
2: Go, Timmy. That's because uh, Democrats aren't morning people. I've read a study on that. It's hard to get up in the morning. Well, well they're doing what they can, I guess. Um, it's making the GOP upset. Sure, the GOPs they, they use their own version of <laughs> shutting down the government, and the Democrats are just, you know, keeping the doors open all night. Democracy in action, folks. Doesn't it make you feel safe? We will take a break. When we come back, we are going to be taking on one of the uh, topics that you hear a lot when you uh, were listening to Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton talking about tuition-free policies at uh, colleges and universities. But will uh, having a tuition-free policy actually ensure success of the students? Well, the data may not actually say that. Stick with us. We'll be talking, um, you know, alternative options when it comes to education. Free? Does it pay off? Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, college nowadays is incredibly expensive. Just ask any current or prospective college student, and they'll tell you. The average cost of college tuition uh, at a private university um, is around $53,000 if you're in an Ivy League school, uh, $32,000 other than that. Um, since many students struggle with the cost of tuition while maintaining decent grade point averages, Democratic presidential candidates are proposing that universities adopt a debt free, tuition free policy. Dr. Lindsay Page, an assistant professor of research methodology at the University of Pittsburgh, however, claims that tuition free policies alone aren't enough to ensure academic success. She joins me now by telephone to talk to me uh, about this topic. Dr. Lindsay Page, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Uh, thanks so much, Matt. It's really nice to join you this morning.
2: Thanks for uh, addressing this issue. We we hear the politicians uh, throw out this wonderful solution of uh, free tuition, free college tuition for, I guess, uh, the people that need it or for everyone. Um, but when it comes down to it, it, it it may not actually work like we think it's going to work. There are still other impediments going on. Is that right?
0: Yeah, that's ex- that's Exactly right. So, you know, one thing one thing that I want to start off by saying, you know, as we as we um, uh, sort of thought about having this conversation, um, you know, I will say that we would certainly expect if if um, policy adopted a tuition free um, policy for public college in particular, we would certainly expect that to have benefits. We would see more students going to college. We would see more students completing college. There's a robust body of research Um, A quite rigorous body of research that provides evidence that giving students additional financial aid will have positive benefits in terms of college access and completion. Uh, But even when we when we look at those studies, when we look at the evidence, um, there's we also see that even when we're giving students sometimes quite generous financial aid, there are still many students who are not completing. Mm. And so my concern Uh, when we think exclusively about a tuition-free policy is that it can take away uh, attention from the fact that even when students have um, sometimes generous financial aid, they're struggling in other ways, and it takes away attention from the other types of supports that we might want to offer to students um, and, and invest money in those kinds of supports rather than Investing money in free tuition for everybody—that's
2: and that's I guess that's part of the issue—is we make a solution, um, you know, politically because it seems like and it would work. It seems like it's valuable, but then again, it it also seems like the people that would need the support and the extra help anyway, they they have other issues that are impediments that wouldn't be addressed by that.
0: Exactly, exactly. And you know, one thing one thing that I want to point out, you know, when you When you cite those high figures of $53,000 a year or even $35,000 a year, or here in Pennsylvania, our our state-owned institutions and state-operated institutions, the the sticker price at least is around $20,000 a Hmm. year. Uh, In any of those dollar figures, about half of that is tuition. And the other half, there are also quite hefty costs in terms of room and board, so paying for your dorm room if you're going to live on campus, paying for your meal plan if you're going to live on campus, those are um, costs that students would still face uh, even if tuition were covered.
2: Hmm. And, and they also have, uh, I mean, uh, other issues, right? Like um, daycare or just if, if you're a mom trying to go to school, like your, uh, your article site's Somebody's got to pay for daycare. Somebody's got to, plus the fact that you probably still have to work and all of these other issues that are compounding.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. So there are a lot of challenges that students can face uh, really even before they set foot on their college campus. So um, one, one thing that I've been researching um, a lot for the past couple of years is a phenomenon that my colleague and I refer to as summer melt. So uh, what's interesting is that there are a lot of students who graduate from high school, they have gotten into college, they've applied for financial aid, they have that financial aid package, they walk across their high school graduation stage and everybody, everybody thinks this, this student is going on to college, he or she looks set to go. And for a lot of students, um, that can be described that way, particularly those who would be first in their family to go to college, uh, particularly those from low-income backgrounds, a lot of those students don't successfully make the transition to college. And um, some, of, some of those transition challenges that they face can be related to financial aid. Maybe, maybe they um, uh, have unmet financial need in, in paying their bill. Uh, but other other things can be going on. They could simply um, have challenges with understanding the process of accepting their student loans, or in figuring out how they're going to pay to get to their college campus um, if they if they don't have the cash on hand to pay for a bus ticket. Hmm. So, um, so I think those are some examples of ways that students can struggle again even before they get to their college campus. Uh, once students do get to college, there are many other challenges that they can experience. There's great research um, and evidence coming out of the Wisconsin Hope Lab uh, and work that Sarah Goldrick-Robb, who's now at Temple University, um, has done um, providing evidence that um, many, many college students suffer from uh, food insecurity. They don't, they don't have enough to eat.
1: Mm.
6: So
0: when we think about elementary school and secondary school, uh, we have um, school breakfast programs, school lunch programs there 's not an analogous program to support college students to make sure that uh, that basic need is actually met
2: and we we 're coming from a campus here, and every time I look at our students and i 'm pretty sure they 're fed, they still look <laughs> like they 're not being fed you know what I mean? and they if i bring out if I bring out a treat or if I just pull a candy bar out of my drawer i 'll have five students appear at my door like are you handing anything out here? It's, exactly. But it's, exactly. it's a real thing. That, um, I, I, I hadn't thought of that. College students, I mean, it's funny. The, the athletes in college are always complaining about they don't have enough money to eat. But, um, you know, it's part of the discussion if we should be paying athletes. But I don't, I have never thought of a college student that's doing everything they can to get through on their bill without, you know, adding to their bills might be not eating, which again exactly. is minimizing their effectiveness.
0: Exactly, exactly. And then, you know, as we, so, so those are some examples of, of challenges that students can face. Uh, you know, we also know that universities are incredibly bureaucratic institutions. Students, in order to just maintain their financial aid, they need to do things like refile the FAFSA every year. Yeah. Um, so my colleague Ben Castleman and I um, have done uh, work where we um, simply, um, in, a, in, in an experimental study, we simply sent students text message reminders about refiling for financial aid, reapplying for financial aid. And we found that um, particularly for students who were at community colleges, this had a really robust impact on um, uh, getting to successfully return for their sophomore year. And so um, we can can make that, um, you know perhaps make more tuition dollars available to students. But we also need to think about the systems and processes that will, uh, su- you know, best support students to take advantage of uh, the things that are already available to them.
2: You, you cite in your um, article that the, a certain percentage of the people, even if they were, had enough subsidies, if they, have en- if they had enough grants or loans, it's still only three in five that actually finish with a degree.
0: That's right. That's right. So, uh, so there are um, large shares of students, uh, you know, in a, I would say from a research standpoint, the, the policy research world has focused a lot on college access. You know, the college access uh, challenge is not solved entirely, but um, I feel like we've evolved um, to know a lot about the challenges that students face and how to support students in um, in accessing college, um, but I think that thinking about how to support students to be successful in college and complete their college degrees is is sort of the the next frontier. And as the the numbers that you suggest um, or the numbers that you uh, cited just now, it's a it's a big problem because otherwise um, we're investing a lot of federal money in uh, and other monies in um, getting students to college. And if they're not completing, then that might be. Um, investment
2: wasted. Investment wasted and some of them carrying debt wasted. Exactly. Oh, exactly. What a hard, hard start. Let's uh, let's take a break. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Lindsay Page, an assistant professor of research methodology at the University of Pittsburgh, and she's walking through um, her, her ideas, her views about uh, tuition-free policies. They serve a purpose. They're beneficial. They will increase. More and more people will be going to college, but There are other issues that need to be looked at as well. We'll continue this discussion in just a minute. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, remember, we we drill it in your heads. Every time we talk about an issue, uh, and usually where the politicians will jump on, they, you know, they grab one side of the issue. But uh, a lot of these issues they talk about are very, very complex. And it doesn't mean that the part they're grabbing onto isn't valuable. It is valuable. It's just, it doesn't always ensure all the success we think uh, that we could have. For example, today we're talking about the uh college tuition prices and fees and everything have been going up, you know, exponentially for years and now uh many of the democratic candidates at least are proposing um free tuition policies or at least, you know, dramatically discounted uh tuition rates um and Will that really ensure success? Well, our guest today, Dr. Lindsay Page is a, is an assistant professor of research methodology at the University of Pittsburgh, also a research scientist at the Learning Research and Development Center at the University of Pittsburgh. Also writes for The Conversation, where we found an article that she's been uh, she had written called Is a tuition-free policy enough to ensure college success? And uh, we've been talking about it. It will improve certain, um, you know, numbers. A lot more people, a lot of people will go get degrees. More and more will be able to have the opportunity to get educated. Uh, Some of the downsides, though, uh, one is just the fact that all the populations, they have other issues other than just tuition. Um, And we've we've been working through some of those. We appreciate you, Lindsay, coming back and being with us. Thank you.
0: It's my pleasure to be here thanks so much
2: what's what do you attribute the cost why are why is tuition going up so much
0: it's a It's a great question so um, it's certainly um, college colleges are expensive to operate one one uh, sort of myth about why college costs are going up so much is sort of this lazy river phenomenon that Um, colleges are doing all sorts of things to make themselves more like country clubs (laughs) and uh, create beautiful pool complexes and lazy rivers and so on and so forth. And that's why, that's why spending is going up so much. So colleges, some colleges are certainly doing those types of things. Uh, But when you look at the numbers, it's not the lazy rivers that are, that are driving up costs. One of the biggest things that's driving up costs actually is uh, that over time, um State governments, which uh you know decades ago um, financed a lot of higher education, state governments are actually rolling back some of the investments that they make in um, in the public colleges and and universities mm. and so because of that rollback of uh sort of tax dollar investment in our our public institutions, more of the cost is being pushed on to students and families
2: and then it seems like now you see also kind of all of the for-pay colleges out there. And you know, I mean for-profit colleges which it seems like there's a there's almost this competition now to get to get people but that too uh, is I think leaves a lot of people financially in trouble. It,
0: it- it does. So, uh, you know, what we know about a lot of the for-profit institutions is that they're, they're quite aggressive in um, getting, getting students to enroll. Um, some of them have um, been accused of quite predatory behaviors um, in, um, you know, attracting students, um, pulling in a lot of Pell Grant dollars. So that's um, federal, federal financial aid to, to cover the costs of, of attendance um, without, without necessarily delivering strong education to students. Um, and um, having having positive uh, labor market outcomes for students on the on the other end, and so um, one thing that um, the the research community has has thought a lot about is how to um, better support students, better support even um, Uh, adults who may be sort of non-traditional college students who are going back to college, how can we better support um, folks to weigh all of the different decisions that they have in um, picking a a college program or an institution that would be a a good fit for them and is going to help uh, help them to achieve the goals that they've laid out for themselves.
2: Mm. Talk to us a little bit about... This idea if it is a debt free if you know if we choose to move forward with a debt free or tuition free um, process to go to college, you say that it may actually um, actually be a big, become a bigger advantage to higher income families
0: that's right than so, the actual uh, lower
2: income families that are needing the boost
0: that's right so so one thing that we might worry about is um, what's the what's the sort of allocation of resources or of dollars, um, a, a friend and colleague of mine, Matt Chingos, who's at the uh, Urban Institute, um, has done some analyses to, to ask the question, you know, if tomorrow we shifted to a, a tuition-free policy, where would the, the bulk of, of financial benefit be going? Um, and what his analysis shows, and he, he recognizes that it's sort of a first, it's a first take at this question, Um, But uh, what his analyses show is that uh, more of the benefit, more of the dollars would actually be going to higher income families um, in particular because students from higher income families are are more, you know, make up the larger majority of college students. Um, But um, in short, more dollars would be going to students who um, probably have um, or, or we know have strong um, college outcomes in any case. Mm. Um, and so those would be dollars going to a group of students where we, we wouldn't be moving the needle so much on, um, on at least college completion. Um, whereas for students lower down the socioeconomic spectrum, and I think that this is so important because of the sort of swelling income inequality that the United States is facing right now. So for students lower down the socioeconomic spectrum, um, as a as a share of college students, they would be getting a, a smaller amount of the benefit mm-hmm. um, and those are the students that we might want to think about supporting more robustly in order to uh, help them achieve their their college goals
2: that's that that's the the uh, weird dynamic right when you' we, we have a goal, but um, the, the weird thing about uh, like a university process it seems like is the idea that if my parents have been before, I have an advantage just simply because I might understand the process i might I already have support i already there's already kind of a set understanding of how this works, the bureaucracy and but for some of these new these families that you're the first person ever going to get a college education there's a lot to learn, and a lot of it is just really um, you know useless to the that's to right. the rest of their life
0: that's right that's right and so you know my my sense of the the need to focus on more robust supports for students um, has really grown out of work uh, research work that I've done on a program that comes out of the Michael and Susan Dell Foundation so um, they have a program that they call the Dell Scholars Program and um, the Dell Scholars Program for students who are selected into the Dell Scholars Program and I should be clear that um, the Dell Scholars are um, they select a cohort of students every year and these students are primarily the first in their family to go to college. They're from low-income backgrounds. They have a, a high school GPA at minimum of about a 2.4. So they're kids who are college qualified, but they're not necessarily sort of the high flyers right. academically. Um, and so what the Dell Scholars Program does is that they, um, they do provide a, a generous scholarship. Um, and I, I don't want to undersell that that's a piece yeah. of what they do. Um, But what they also do is they provide students with um, – and and their Dell Scholars are across the country. They attend tons of different colleges and universities. Um, But in addition to that financial support, they provide them with ongoing um, counseling and and support services um, to help with all of these other um, challenges that students can face. And the way that they, they frame this to students is they basically say, you know, you're about to embark on college. This is going to be, this is an important experience, it's an important investment in your future, but you're going to be challenged in many ways. And when you're selected into this program, you are not alone. We are here for you. We're here to support you. And what we find through um, A rigorous research study is that um, the students who are selected into um, the Dell Scholars Program are uh, when you compare them to students who are 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 just like them, but they just sort of didn't make the didn't make the cutoff for for getting selected into the program. Those students who who are supported through the program have dramatically better outcomes. Mm. And I would say that when we compare those outcomes to those that we see from um, programs that just provide financial aid, the the impacts are larger.
2: Yeah, it's almost more uh, like a community, right? It feels like in a way that you've got more support than just throwing money at them.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's interesting. So in a way, their scholars are distributed all across the country. So it's not as though the students have tight connections to others who are also supported through the program. Uh, but what they do have is a strong connection to sort of the adults, the counselors who are running the program, um, much like, as you as you said before, we could liken it to students who are going to college who have the support and benefit of college-educated uh, parents or other family members who, who know what it looks like uh, to, to go to college mm-hmm. and sort of navigate the challenges of the college process.
2: What would you say, Lindsay, as, um, as we're kind of wrapping this up, to the... You know the average mom or dad whose child is going to be starting college this year, they, you know, it's it's a going it's going to be a big stretch. It's going to be a hard thing. They'll probably get student loans um, because the tuition free isn't real yet. Uh, they'll get a lot of um, other kind of s- subsidies and and grants and things. What what should they be thinking to to maximize the money that's there? And to make sure that their child kind of doesn't slip through the cracks.
0: Right. Um, so I think two things. One, one thing to keep in mind is, um, you know, you obviously – families obviously need to be making um, financially savvy decisions. Um, sometimes um, students will be given financial aid packages. If they include loans, um, they may include both subsidized loans. Where, um, where the interest on that loan is being taken care of, um, and um, unsubsidized loans where interest is, is accruing right away. Yeah. Um, and obviously the subsidized loans are uh, more desirable than the unsubsidized loans. So obviously families need to muster enough resources to, to cover the costs of college. Um, but one of the key things, I think, is to not take on... Um, more, more debt than they have to. So look out for those unsubsidized loans and don't necessarily take a loan just because it's offered to you. Right. Um, so I think, I think that's um, one of the key things. Um, in terms of um, being successful on, col- on a college campus, I think one, one thing when we, when we compare the college experience to the high school experience... And the high school experience is, is tightly controlled. It's tightly regimented. Um, high schools probably are going to be more proactive in um, following up with students when they are faltering academically or having you know, other challenges right. in, their, in their high school experience. Once students are on the college campus, it becomes much more the responsibility, typically the responsibility of the student to recognize there, they, there may be um, supports that they need and to go out and find those supports. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, um, you know, I lived as an a, um, in-house freshman advisor for many, many years, and um, something that one of my uh, advisees um, said to me that really stuck with me was I became a successful college student once I realized that I needed help and I could ask for it. And so, sort of early and often, recognizing the challenges that you're facing academically, socially, and knowing that there are supports on campus um, to help you with those domains of your student life, Um, but oftentimes students have to be more proactive in um, seeking out those supports that do exist. Man, great
2: advice. And early and often, right? Sooner than you think. uh, Get get in and get get the resources as soon as you can. Dr. Lindsay Page, thank you so much for your great uh, work on this topic, and uh, we hope to have you back soon.
0: Thanks so much. I really enjoyed talking with you.
2: You bet again. That's Dr. Lindsay Page from the University of Pittsburgh, who has been studying this concept of summer melt. You know, the effect in which incoming college students fail to transition. They just kind of melt away from high school to college. Interesting stuff, folks. And uh, just throwing money at it doesn't always work the way we think it will. But it is beneficial if we can uh, take advantage of it. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion. This is the Mad Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's always about the money. Money, money, money. Sick of it. I think tuition should be free. Mm. And I think school should be a lot easier. Who's going to pay for it, Matt? Uh, the Democrats will. They want it, so maybe. Bernie says we can pay for all of it. Yeah, probably. Just on the backs of Wall Street.
4: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But Wall Street doesn't want to do that, so No, they're so greedy.
2: What's wrong with you guys? Hey, um there's 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 cost to everything.
4: Everything costs money. Everything. There's ne- never a a free meal costs somebody something a some somewhere, but not you yeah. know, me, so do we right. really care where it comes from or do you just want to have the free meal?
2: Well, it depends. What are we eating? If it's really good, I don't care where it came from.
4: Okay. This is why
2: I couldn't be a politician because I would take every mail they give me.
4: Yesterday I was, uh, you know, clicking around as I do. Yeah. And uh, found the the ad rates that CNN is charging and Fox News, I believe, on here also was charging for commercials during the Republican and Democratic conventions. Uh-oh. What are they going to – how much are they CNN changing? is charging advertisers 40000 to $100,000 for a 30-second spot during the both conventions. <gasps> Right. Crazy. Compared with about $5,000 for a normal primetime commercial. Wow. Eight times more. Eight times more. According to a person familiar with the matter, Fox News plans to charge similar rates. Uh, according to this uh, professor at the University of San Francisco who uh, who looks at this stuff because, you know, he's an academic. Yeah. Uh, the cable networks, of course, decline to confirm or deny their ad rates. Right. What they're saying is that they feel that this convention will be... Uh, high, highly rated, lots of attention. Over the last few uh, cycles, the, the people are watching more and more and more of the uh, the convention. Really?
2: I have a feeling they're wrong. It's going to be a sleeper.
4: You think it'll be a sleeper? You think it'll be a lot of hype and then nothing happens? You think yeah. Cleveland has armed up their police force I think for no the reason?
2: GOP will be more, more interesting. Okay. Just it's, because you never know what that guy's going to say. Mm-hmm. Hillary, you can bet, going to hit the mark. But that's kind of boring. Unless she's, you know, swinging a bat.
4: The Republican convention's on July 18th at, in, in Cleveland. The Democrats meet at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia July 25th. Wow. So they're just a week apart. You know,
2: the, uh, would you have any interest to go to these? No, not at all. Not at all. And just hear speech after speech after speech mm-hmm. after speech. If
1: it were a broker convention, I think it'd be fun.
4: Yeah. That would be interesting, but not being in the the stadium right the Convention center the TV would be probably the best place because they would have access to more information that you could get from the floor
2: do they they, the if floor they need games
4: chaos. if they if they'd have games if they you know mix it up pin the tail on the moderate is yeah. that what you want okay yeah.
2: no it's kind of like okay on the count of three I want you guys to find the Republican go find one
4: there's 5,000
2: people trying to see who's the Republican is wouldn't that be fun that's so exciting. Oh, I love it. Man, let me be the chairperson. Come on. We'll take a break, folks. Giving you the information you need to live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend
2: Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. We try to bring you the information, the tools, the ideas, the research you need for your life Um, Not necessarily uh, here to uh, entertain you. (laughs) Actually, we try to entertain you. It just never works. It's a hard thing. It's a high goal. It's a high standard to hit the entertainment factor. We've got a great show today. Um, By the way, Happy Pink Day. Yeah. I'm thinking it's a different pink. Yes. We're talking the color pink. But By the way, she's a wonderful singer.
4: And there's no real reason for the color? I, I mean, to, for the day to celebrate the color pink? It's not like it's a, the, I'm a charity. I'm wearing pink. I, yeah, yeah. I was for the day. not point that out. It's pink day. So it's not a charity. It's not a good cause. Mm. It's not a movement. It's just the color. I looked at it. I don't know.
2: Uh, do so. you like the color pink? I love the no, color pink. Not really. I think it's one of the most beautiful, again, as a white man with pink skin. Mm.
4: Or as my son calls it, peachy. <laughs> he calls it peachy. <laughs> You got what color is this, <laughs> Dad? Peachy. I'm like, ooh, I need a tan. <laughs> yeah, I guess mine's more peachy than
2: pinky. <laughs> ah, that sounds kind of bad. I feel like a pig. Yeah. Hey, it's also Let It Go day. Oh no. You gotta let it go, Terry. You. I hold <sighs> on to a lot of stuff. You hold on to it. Mm-hmm. And I found that wearing but pink helps.
4: I think kind of hoarding the bad things in life makes me feel better. What do you think?
2: Does this song help? No. Play it again. It it Has it helped yet? Nope. Nope. One more time.
4: Nope. Still no change. No change.
2: When this song came out, did you play it a lot for your child? Uh, no. But he knew it. So you'll hit your child with a swim noodle, but pool, you won't uh, play... A, a pool noodle. Pool noodle, but you won't play Let It Go. Let it go. That's right.
4: Let it go. Man, you're a bad dad. <laughs> nah, it's fine. He he gets exposed to that stuff... Uh, Without, without my influence, he, yeah. he all of a sudden shows up and he starts singing. And I'm like, where'd you learn that? And he told me, you know, <laughs> some random place.
2: I learned it at, at uh, Playgroup, Dad.
4: Yeah. Well, uh, we got a great show
2: for you. Um, today we will be talking about the cost of mental health care. Mm. Interestingly, when you hear the numbers, you might think it's a much bigger deal than you, than you currently do. We know, you know, heart disease, that's expensive, we've got to take care of that. But you will not believe the amount of money this country spends on health care, mental health care. It's more than any other category.
4: We don't talk about it.
2: We don't talk about it. But meanwhile, we see terrorist acts with Mm -hmm. guns with mental health issues. And we focus on the terrorism and the guns, but we don't focus on the mental health issues.
4: Come on! Is that the hardest of the three, though? I don't know. Maybe maybe we think we could tackle the terrorism issue or the guns easier than we could the mental health. Yeah, but see, that's crazy because how long have we been talking guns? Hmm. We're just barely talking
2: mental health. But, I mean, I think it doesn't need a major, major overhaul. It just needs some attention, some love. Right. It's like Ben sometimes.
4: Just Just needs a hug. Needs a hug. And I'll find someone to do that. Right. Will Will you task that out? Yeah. There's plenty of students And here. we've got enough producers. See, One yeah.
2: producer could be hugging him more. Right.
4: The
1: problem is you assign somebody, but then they don't do it. And so if you, yeah. if you could follow up on it, that would okay. be really, really Well, cool. well they've actually
2: tried. I mean, a lot. we have assigned it many times, and they've tried, and then there's the problem.
1: Well, I, I go for a hug. They say, no, it's not my turn today. Yeah. And, I mean, what
2: am I supposed but, to do? Well, you're supposed to let him go. Yeah. You let them go.
4: It's like a quick hug. Yeah.
2: You sort of like to want yeah. to hold and... Like, you, it's more of like I think they don't. Even, I think technically it's more of like an assault. Yeah, yeah. Than a hug.
4: It's
1: not a hug if it's less than ten seconds. Wow,
4: yeah. that's quite a hug. Mama
2: says it's not a hug unless it's more than ten <laughs> seconds. <laughs> that's sad. Hey, we will. Uh, we'll get to that. Plus, uh, crazy, crazy news about Barney the dinosaur. Ooh. He may not be as friendly as you think. We'll get to that. Uh, I mean He could trap you. But first, let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on around the rest of the country?
3: Well, hey, Matt. So the House Democrats, Democrats sitting on the floor of the chamber continues this morning in a push for more gun control measures. Now is the time for us to find a way to dramatize it, to make it real, Representative John Lewis said. We have to occupy the floor of the House until there is action. Though Democrats gradually packed up and left after adjournment, some stayed. A core group of about 20 had lingered, many with pillows and blankets, so they are there to stay. Democrats said their move was successful in raising awareness about gun gun violence. Donald Trump tore to Hillary Clinton for being greedy as well as volcanic and impulsive. In a speech Wednesday, Trump slammed Clinton's record as Secretary of State, claiming that her tryout for the presidency has produced one deadly foreign policy disaster after another. To put a finer point on it, Trump added, in just four years, Secretary Clinton managed to almost single-handedly destabilize the entire Middle East. Trump also painted Clinton as getting rich while making you poor, claiming she ran the State Department like her own personal hedge fund. Ouch. Donald Rumsfeld, the former U.S. Secretary of Defense, told the Daily Mail that he plans on voting for presumptive Republican nominee Donald Trump. Rumsfeld said the decision between backing Trump or presumptive Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton was not a close call. He said, I'm a Republican and that's not... And there's not any doubt in my mind how I'll vote, Rumsfeld said. I don't believe Hillary Clinton is qualified to be president of the United States. Just one month after tweeting that he'd only said like a thousand times that he'd be a private citizen come January, Senator Marco Rubio appears to have changed his mind. In an interview with the Miami Herald, Rubio confirmed weeks of rumors that he'd be reconsidering his decision to leave the Senate. Rubio says he is motivated by the Senate's responsibility to hold the executive branch in check. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission is reportedly confident that it caught and killed the alligator that attacked and drowned two-year-old Lane Graves earlier last week. Six alligators were trapped and euthanized in the aftermath of the attack at the Seven Seas Lagoon and no other alligators of a size capable of the attack have been seen, the commission said. And lastly, Matt, the NHL is making a big bet on Las Vegas. The league will expand to Las Vegas for the 2017-2018 season after awarding its 31st franchise to billionaire businessman Bill Foley on Wednesday. Commissioner Graybett announced the decision after the league's board of governors met on a 109 degree day and unanimously voted to put an ice hockey team in southern nevada the nhl is expanding for the first time since 2000 when minnesota and columbus joined the league so there you go even las vegas can play hockey back to you
2: man thanks caitlin
3: i mean you know it
2: you did it (laughs) i did uh, good stuff. We've got uh, man, we have got a lot to cover, a lot to uh, talk about. Terry, what uh, what what are you thinking right now? What are you feeling? We, we talk
4: about relationships on this show. We love relationships. We talk about how marriages work. Yeah, and, you know all those types of things. All those things in uh, Sweden, the Church of Sweden, according to the Christian Science Monitor, churches in every major Swedish city, along with many smaller towns, offer drop-in weddings and baptisms now. Drop in, like like you just you just ah, you know I got five minutes. It, I think I'll get that it's, it's not quite the drive through variety okay. that you okay. can get in Las Vegas.
2: Right. Where you don't you right. have to get
4: out of your car. You don't want to cheapen it. But they've kind of streamlined the process. OK. It says it was the brainchild of uh, Pastor Osterlund. We'll call him from uh, from the in there in Sweden. He performed a prearranged wedding in 2008 at a car show. But then another couple at the event asked him if they could tie the knot. He said, that's not how it works. You have to be prepared. But afterwards, he realized that it's the church that's not prepared. And I realize that there are a lot of couples like them with the help of nine other pastors he offered drive-in weddings at next year's car show. So they did go the drive-in okay, yeah. that, in, in that situation. At the
2: car show, too. That's At the handy. car show. Because then you can just pick your car.
4: Yeah. I'll take the Alfa so, Romeo
0: 1965,
2: Alfa Romeo.
4: The idea was first poorly received by church officials, as you could imagine. The practice of drop-in weddings has since flourished, with drop-in baptism soon added the fact a few years back. They said they actually, he uh, this Pastor Osterlin received the church's innovator of the year award, and uh, he says that actually church uh, like attendance has gone up over this. See, they're making it they're they're now
2: customizing the church to fit the busy lives of the people. Yeah,
4: instead of maybe yeah. you know we you need to go through a class and a counseling session and all these different things yeah. leading up to it. You just know, get them married. I
2: guess. You know, can I just add something to that? Yeah, go ahead. You know, you, you can drop in with a prayer to God anytime you want.
4: Oh wow! Anytime—that's great. He's there all the time. It's great tip there. Good job, Matt. I'm just saying, you don't—you know—just
2: <laughs> call once so, in a while.
4: He's like every parent that's like, you never call. He did drive-in weddings at a car show, and now they're adding baptisms. Not at a car show, no, but the similar process.
2: No, at a at a pool. But show. you could
4: probably fill up a Buick. The trunk of a Buick with water and take care of the baptisms. But that's up to you.
2: It's, it all depends. What's your goal? That's what I always ask. What's your goal? Okay, crazy story. Um, oh, who doesn't love Barney the dinosaur? Me. Who else? <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> who doesn't love Barney the dinosaur? Well, it's all fun and games, folks, until someone gets their head stuck in a giant Barney dinosaur head. Mm. Like, so, so that's what happened to a 15 year old girl named Darby Reisner of Trustville, Alabama, Sunday night. When the teen said she found a giant bar- bar- Barney head at a friend's house, wow! And you know how kids are. Like the minute they find the Barney head, they're like, "I got to put it on my head." Absolutely. So she just throws the Barney head on her head, and then decided to go scare her friends. And and she came downstairs, but the prank turned into a crazy. Scary, sad joke, but funny still. Um, when she couldn't get the oversized dinosaur head off of her off of her body. Because mm. see the head it slid down, right? So as she was standing and running around and walking around, she said the head, these were her exact words, it wobbled and scooched down. It scooched uh-huh, wow. over my shoulders, stopping just above my elbows. You can't account for the scooch. Right. See, so now she's got short little Barney arms. With this big purple Barney helmet head. And uh, all the girls started trying to pull it off, but it wasn't budging. Hmm. You know, now her shoulders were involved. (laughs) Reisner said, I started to get a little claustrophobic and I felt like, you know, kind of like the world was closing in on me. This is intense. Wow. I mean, this this is like a kid's worst nightmare, quite literally. At one point, Reisner said her friends tried to rub Vaseline all over her arms. Okay. Cuz you know, yeah. you got to lubricate it, get it <laughs> get, get it, it to move a little so bit. So pops off. Uh but that that did move the head up a bit she said, but it still didn't come off all the way. Mm. So one of Reisner's friends had a boyfriend at the Trustville Fire Department. So they called to ask for help.
0: Here
5: comes the fire truck.
2: The people shout shall-
5: the siren tells the cars and trucks to get that's out
4: that's what of you the want yeah. you need help sounds like they're on the case watch and, watch the and see Barney's straight. covered this
2: are <laughs> fire truck wow no fire well here's the deal so they said we're gonna we're gonna call the fire department but then they're like uh friends and the mother and everyone's like ah don't we don't want to make a fuss we don't want all the neighbors messed right. up and Could freaking be embarrassing. Out. right yeah. So instead, they decided to just drive to the fire department. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Right? So we have Take a video her. here.
0: How am yeah. I going to get my seatbelt on?
2: She can't get her seatbelt on oh, wow. um, in the video here. And as they're driving, though, they hit the radio. Oh, here's it. good one. Huh. And guess what's on the radio? Total irony. Why is Barney on the radio? It's the weirdest thing. Huh. And so the poor girl's stuck. And Huh?
4: She's stuck.
3: Her arms are getting uh,
2: I think her
4: arms are getting now. Wow. It was hard to tell with the yeah. the head on. Makes but it difficult. Guys, Look,
2: you where med-
3: are we going? Where oh. are we going? Are we
4: That's hard.
2: What I mean, wow. teenage girls are so about their image anyway. Absolutely.
3: Turn it up.
2: Oh, she can't hear the radio. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel bad for her. Hmm. They got there to the fire department, and honestly, 33-year career fire department members couldn't stop laughing. Of course. Because they thought they had seen everything. Yeah. I mean, somebody thought her head was swollen. (laughs) And then they realized, no, it's a Barney dinosaur head. Does your head
4: normally look that way?
2: They actually had to cut into the fiberglass Barney head to get some release cuts, and then uh, it just slid right off.
4: Hmm. Yeah. So Reisner. Well, think before you put a random costume head on. (sighs)
2: Yeah, I you, mean...
4: You could be at the fire department. Yeah. Or listening to Barney in the car. Ooh, but, I don't know when, which is worse.
2: And if you love Barney, that's not bad. But, you know, if you don't love Barney, mm. that's kind of a hard day. That it is, It's a lot of Barney. And then can you imagine at school, what'd you do this summer? Oh, geez, you don't even want to know. Have you heard of Barney? Um. Anyway, sorry, Darby Reisner, 15-year-old. Sorry, we... Uh, had to talk about ruining your life. Wow.
4: But she's good now. She's, she's no, good There's now. no she's Barney totally Yeah, no,
2: yeah. In yeah. fact, and her arms are so supple and smooth because of right. the Vaseline. <laughs> it's all good.
4: It's all good.
2: Uh, firefighters did it. Again, there to save the day. Mm-mm-mm. We are so lucky. We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, we will be talking uh, about the, the healthcare industry surprise of the year. You will not believe how much money we as a country spend on health care. Let me tell you, it's not just in the billions. It's in the hundreds of billions that we spend not just on health care, but on mental health care. Stick with us, folks. We're talking about the cost of mental health up next on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, healthcare is a billion-dollar industry, and within the healthcare industry, what does America spend the most money on? It's not cancer, it's not traumas, it's not injuries, or even heart conditions. Uh, which, by the way, ten years ago was the co- one of the costliest uh, things we were spending our money on. Here to discuss the rising epidemic of mental health costs and the study he conducted to find out uh, this information is uh, Dr. Charles Rerig, and he is working. Um, he's the vice president and institute fellow and founding director of Alterum's Center for Sustainable Health Spending. Dr. Rerig, thank you so much for being with us today.
6: My pleasure, Matt. Thanks for having me.
2: You bet. What an interesting... This blew my mind. These numbers are out of control. But So give us the numbers. The, in the United States, we spent how much money on mental health disorders or issues?
6: Uh, about $201 billion, but that was back in 2013, which wow. is the latest year for which we have the data. And, and by the way, health care spending in total... As of this month is running at an annual rate of about three point three trillion Wow about eighteen percent of GDP
2: unbelievable three point three trillion total health care spending and then about two hundred billion just on mental disorders like anxiety and depression again numbers from two thousand thirteen what um Wow, which is by the way, it's going up, right? Just even ten years ago it was uh it was only it was about fifty billion lower than that, wasn't it
6: yeah and and you know the the thing that jumped out at me probably more than anything was uh you know the conventional wisdom i amongst most people I know is that spending on heart disease would be the highest and that indeed was true back in 1996 which is the first year uh within the study period we have here um it was way above uh mental disorders and other conditions um by about 2004 they crossed over and now mental disorders are are the highest by far over heart conditions so the but the interesting uh cause of this, it isn't that spending on mental disorders has risen so quickly. It's risen about an average rate. It's spending on health, on heart disease has risen uh, very slowly, only about 2% per year from 1996 to 2013.
2: Huh. Why is that?
6: That is a a great question, and it has a great answer, I think. Um, (laughs) Most... Well, first of all, uh, it's not just spending that has grown at a slow rate, but the mortality rate from heart disease has been falling, you know, age-adjusted. So at the same age as fewer people are dying of heart disease. So prevalence is not uh, growing rapidly for, for heart disease. And the probably the number one reason for that is all the people who quit smoking 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, you know, if you look at the details of our data, you'll see that spending on hypertension, on, on high blood pressure and high cholesterol, hyperlipidemia, uh, have both grown quite rapidly over this time. But better control of your blood pressure and your cholesterol also is a uh, uh, helps prevent heart disease. So, between lifestyle changes, smoking primarily and then uh, better control of hypertension and cholesterol, I think that's a lot of what lies behind the very slow spending on heart disease. Yeah,
2: And then meanwhile, um, we as we're living longer, and if we are you know experiencing heart disease issues, um, I, I'm pretty sure it, it also correlates to levels of depression and anxiety and other you know other mental health issues. So yes. so every other disease impacts mental health as well.
6: Yes. Actually, I did a study a few years back um, that where I was looking at, at disabilities in the population, you know, as people age and they, be, they begin to have problems yeah. with hearing and remembering and seeing and daily activities. Um, it's amazing how much that correlates back to anxiety and depression mm-hmm. I, I think the cause and effect goes both ways to some degree
2: does I mean is this sustainable uh, is this level of health care spending I guess in general and specifically mental health spending I, I guess is can we afford this
6: <laughs> um, that is also a great question, especially since I'm with the Center for Sustainable Health Spending, right. and, and one of our goals when we were formed a little over five years ago was to try to answer the question about what rate of increase in health spending would be sustainable, because uh, everyone know, knew it wasn't sustainable, but what would be? Um, and I I think the, um, you know, it's health spending as a whole that we have to worry about, in terms of sustainability, and um, so not just the you know spending on mental disorders, right, right, but we will um, if you keep your eyes out. I've got a blog coming out in the Health Affairs, uh, Health Policy Journal, uh-huh. on this topic, and we have something called the Triangle of Painful Choices, which looks out about 20 years, looks out to 2035, and says okay, if health spending, even if we manage to control health spending better than we ever have and have it grow at just the same rate as GDP and stabilize the share of our economy that goes to health, by 2035, um, we will have to increase our taxes by 20% in order to have enough money to keep spending on national defense and kind of, you know, other other sort of non-health items, right. education and safety net programs and stuff at, at their historic minimum levels. So think about that for a moment. We, you no know, way. 20% more taxes in order to hold spending on national defense and other non-health items to their historical lows. I'm keeping Social Security out of that. Uh, yeah, uh, other non-health items, because that's part of what's what's causing the problem. You know, the problem is is that uh, the baby boomers, right. which I'm one, are, uh, you know, we're all aging, and we all get on Social Security, and we all get on Medicare.
2: You're killing us, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> You're killing us. <laughs> what are we're we going to do right? with you baby boomers? you are living too long. <laughs> you are? And honestly, how great is that, really? I mean, that we're living longer, except... It's almost like we, back to kind of the mental health world. We need, we need some information. We need more education around it because it also seems like, um, you know, there are some answers for people with a lot of mental health. Issues, kind of more of, I guess, the more the more basic type, the more common type, the less complex types of some of these issues, and and there's a lot of other ways to treat them and to look at them, and it's almost like we don't even address mental health because the stigma, like you said in your article, lingers so much.
6: Yes, um, you know the the theory is it gets un, it's underreported in a lot of the surveys because people don't uh, want to. Confess to it, and you know, substance abuse is is one of the ones, in fact, that is most understated. I think. Um, you know, I mean, but there has been a revolution in the treatment of anxiety and depression. Right. Uh, and it wasn't that long ago when Freudian, you know, analysis sort of the Woody Allen phenomenon, mm-hmm. where you you would go see your psychiatrist five days a week. Uh, <laughs> and talk it out. And the costs of that tend to mount up.
1: Yeah. Right.
6: Um, and, and then a lot of people would lament they didn't get anywhere doing it. Uh, but then, uh, you know, along came Prozac and, and then the, the follow-on uh, drugs. And there's been a big shift from talk therapy into uh, drug therapy. And that really has reduced the cost of treating anxiety and depression. There's still you know, the spending is still rising. It's one of the faster rising categories, but that's because more people are being treated rather than, than the cost per person being treated. Right. Going
2: up. I wonder, too, I mean, in a way, uh, Dr. Wierig, it, it parallels um, very naturally the news cycles we see. I mean, we see these mass shootings. We see um, the, aer- the pilot that crashes the airplane. One of the groups of people that I know that underreport their own mental health issues are people like pilots, you know, uh, police department, fire department, uh, because they don't – you know, it's going to impact my job. If all of a sudden I have depression then I mm-hmm. or I have anxiety, you can't – I can't just go start taking anti-anxiety meds without my, my airline, you know, looking at me funny.
6: You know, with that, what that makes me think of is in sports, the whole concussion – Right. Uh, phenomenon where it used to be that you just say, walk it off. <laughs> yeah, shake you know? it off. Shake it off and get back out <laughs> there. And that, I think, with ang- with a lot of the sort of mental issues, anxiety, uh, you know, that's what people still do and, and do, I guess, to a degree. If it doesn't make things worse, that's what you've got to do. It's not quite the, the perfect analogy with concussions.
2: But. Right. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Charles Rierig, and he is um, the vice president and institute fellow and founding director of Alterum's Center for Sustainable Health Spending. His research interests include timelier tracking of health spending and determining its sustainable growth rate, modeling future growth. We're going to come back because one of the issues, it's not just the $200 billion we spend on mental health health and mental disorders a year but mental health also is costing businesses a lot of money and I wanted to uh, to talk to Dr. Rierig about that as well so stick with us continuing the discussion of the costs of mental health and are we on the right track stick with us this is the Matt Townsend Show we'll be right back To the Matt Townsend Show, hey, $3.3 trillion are spent each year on health care. $200 billion of that on mental disorders. And it leads uh, it leads the pack, folks. It's ahead of cancer. It's ahead of um, uh, heart disease and uh, traumas, medical traumas and injuries. I'm telling you, it is a big, big deal. We see stories in the news of mental health gone awry And remember, most people, when we talk about mental health, I mean, the most common thing is they're going to suffer from anxiety, depression, something like that. Uh, About 20%, they say, of the population, according to our guest today, will sometime in their life, one in four, actually maybe 25%, one in four people will experience mental health conditions at some point in their life. And uh, he's here to not only just teach us and give us the numbers of his research, but maybe give us some some solutions, some ideas, things that we should be watching out for. His name is Dr. Charles Rierig, and he is a uh, vice president, and institute fellow, and founding director of Alterum's Center for Sustainable Health Spending. Um, you can go find out more um, on on the website, on his website, about uh, the uh, the about his work he's doing and the research he's doing. The website is Health dot um, org, where he's a contributor and a blogger there, or you can go to Alterum A-L-T-A-R-U-M dot org. Dr. Charles Rierig, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Matt. Uh, this uh, The number is obviously staggering, but talk to me about the impact that the mental health issues have on businesses.
6: Yeah, now that is not something uh as a part of this study, so I'm going to be a little bit general. You'll be on winging that. it. Yeah. I'll be winging it a little bit, but uh um but you know, we know that mental health issues affect workers productivity and uh in in the health economics field we go from talking about the cost of a disease, meaning how much do we spend directly on it, and then the economic burden of the disease, which brings in these other effects, one of which is lower productivity at work. And when someone's less productive at work, it means ultimately, uh, you know, their company is less productive. Right. Uh, it affects the economy as a whole. It affects economic growth. And all, all of these things uh, ultimately, uh, you know, are a drag on on our country.
2: Mm. In fact, uh, in the article, um, it cited a number, $193 billion is lost uh, in lost earnings per year, according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, because of... Uh, just mental health issues, so it, it impacts, and and also I I look at it the stress right and the stress that it causes to other family members and the mm-hmm. concern and other health related issues just that come from that.
6: Yes, and and those stresses, by the way, end up being uh, a source of additional illnesses. Uh, you know, one of the things that they're we're discovering more and more is how stress. I mean, there there are good stresses in your life, but Right. Bad stresses are really bad for your health, and they they can be implicated in a multitude of other diseases.
2: Why, you know, if it's so prevalent, it's such a part of our life. Really, what do you see is the reason we don't talk about it more? Why are we not working more on mental health, you know, issues uh, in, in our country publicly? Um,
6: good, uh, good question. I mean, I think that. There, there are people who are trying to talk about it, and you may be familiar with the term mental health parity uh-huh. of, you know, it used to be that if you had a mental health problem, you know, if you were seeing a uh, therapist, uh, the amount that your insurance company would pay for that care was much less than if you were going in to have an appendectomy or, uh, you know, have your heart disease treated right um and so there's been a big argument for well, let's no let's start funding mental health uh the same way we do you know equally generously or uh, if some people don't think uh it's very generous for the rest of the diseases but um i think the 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 reason why you have some resistance to that is some sense that we all harbor some, you know, some levels of mental health problems right. <laughs> that you're really opening Pandora's box if you make it cheap to ch- for everyone to have a mental health problem treated.
2: Huh. Yeah, it's like, let's not start doing that. Um, is it, has uh, the Affordable Care Act uh, been helpful in this, hurtful? Where do you see that uh, playing out in this?
6: Um, Well, I think in the end, it's tremendously helpful uh, in in a couple of ways. It it provides better access to mental health services for a a bunch of people who who probably are more in need of it, you know, live more stressful lives than the rest of us already. Mm -hmm. Anyway, let alone to be stuck without health insurance when they get sick. Um, So I think it's, it's, it's good for access to mental health services for a new set of people for the newly insured, you know what, there's 10 million, 12, 13 million people who have gained insurance, maybe more through the Affordable Care Act. Um, and, um, you know, there, there are all kinds of stories of people bank, being bankrupted by health care expenses. Right. And so that creates a stress in people's lives. So, so you're, you've, uh, you're, you're making their lives better and less stressful.
2: Yeah. You know, um the research that you're doing, I, I guess your goal as an institution is to, you know, improve the markets. Uh is that is that your goal is to improve the markets, lower the costs and just inform people or, or what are you trying to do um there at uh, Alteras Alterum's yeah, Alterum, center?
6: Yeah. Well, we're, you know, in my my little center is fairly focused, uh highly focused on just Tracking spending on a more timely basis, and pointing out to people what uh, level of rate of increase would be sustainable um, but branching off into uh you know lately there's a there's a whole field of uh, social determinants of health i don't know if you've heard this, but Mm-mm. you know the health of a of a country's population is much less determined by how the quality and quantity of health care medical care they receive, and much more related to uh, education and income and, and uh, you know, levels of stress in in the society. Hmm. And so there are studies now showing that states within the United States that spend more on safety net programs um, relative to health uh, have healthier populations, and, and European nations that spend more money on safety net programs and social determinants of health end up with healthier populations, whereas the, the U.S. spends far and away the highest percentage of its economy goes to health care. We, we spend 18% of our income on health. Next highest developed nation is something like 12%, maybe Switzerland, I yeah. think. And yet we are in the middle of the pack in terms of the health of our population. Hmm. So, you know, medical care is is a very crucial Option to have and service to have in your economy, but it's not the primary determinant of how healthy your population
2: is. Really, so it's more—I mean, more spending on education, income—you know, managing and improving income issues, and managing the stressors in society would would do better.
6: Yes, and so, and I think uh, you know, the Affordable Care Act expanding coverage, uh, even though it does stress out the people who
2: hate it. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) It lowers the, the stress yeah. on the people who have received it. I think you just fixed my biggest problem of the year is why my neighbors – why why they put a dog park in my neighborhood. But it's to de-stress everybody.
1: Yeah,
6: yeah.
2: That's it. Well, I was wondering, yeah. like, why are we building dog parks? I don't even have a dog. Pet therapy is actually it?
6: a, a, a you know, mental health yeah. uh, treatment.
2: Oh, that's – I mean it it's a really complicated issue and boy when you give us those numbers about what's going to be happening what in the next 30 years or so yeah that's scary because yep. that's something's got to change
6: yep
2: yep and um, and then I guess you lobby do you guys end up lobbying for this and pushing you know or like cause somebody's got to be ringing the bell that hey folks we're heading toward an iceberg
6: yes um we, uh, in general, we're not for profit, and so we're careful to be nonpartisan and, in general, do not do lobbying. Although I think there are certain certain types of, of policies we're allowed to lobby for, but for the most part, we just try to be, uh, you know, a source of objective, accurate, timely information on these issues. Yeah,
2: well, we appreciate it. I think it's, I think it's just great information and. It should be mind-blowing, $200 billion on mental disorders, even more than heart issues, heart disease. Wow. We appreciate you again, uh, Dr. Charles Rurig. Thank you for being with us.
6: Thank you, Matt. My pleasure.
2: You bet. And keep up the great uh, research on the great work. You can find out more, remember, if you go to alterum.org, A-L-T-A-R-U-M dot org, Great insights, great research. Um, we'll, we'll take a break, folks. Come back. When we come back, we'll do a little Coach's Corner for you. We'll be talking about how to manage your own anxiety, give you some tools, some coaching ideas for uh, controlling you know, a little bit of the nerves. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
6: I'm ready to go in,
1: coach. Just give me a chance.
6: Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach.
2: Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Two hundred and one billion dollar, two hundred and one billion dollars, folks, for mental health uh, care. That's it's just crazy, crazy numbers. But there are some things. Let me just suggest that you can do to manage, uh, or at least try to work work and coach yourself through some of your own uh, anxiety issues. We'll particularly today talk about anxiety, and I work with a lot of, uh, just a lot of people. Um, So many times I'll have a mom and a dad bring their kids in to see me, and as we sit down, they'll start just talking about how their child hates school, they'll talk about the, you know, they have a hard time going out and socializing and doing what they're supposed to do. Um, and it worries the parents, right? And so you have a mom sitting there saying, look, aren't you going to go play? You really got to go play. The other kids are playing. Why don't you ever want to play? You're such a disappointment. And even if it's not, like, intentionally said that you're not cutting it, something's weird with you, um, they already know that. These kids know that. And what I find is, a lot of times, an anxious parent comes in, and they're worried, and by the way, anxious, about their child, who probably has a little of their own anxiety, whether it's social anxiety or what have you. And so what I do, uh, one of the things I do in my organization is I help um, coach people through uh, their anxiety. And there's just, there's a lot of great research. And by the way, one of the number one ways to deal with your anxiety, 85% of it roughly, um, is simply your breathing, period. Usually, when you're anxious, your your body starts to, uh, because of the, the the hormones and what's happening, your breathing tends to be more shallow and fast. Right, so a shallow, fast, rapid breathing, which makes it so all of a sudden you're not getting a deep, full breath, which stresses you out. Yeah. I think I was talking about something else. But uh, like, you know, Lord Vader, for example. Lord Vader sometimes might have anxiety. Who knows? But one way we can deal with it is, um, is breathing. Just a deep cleansing breath. A deep enough breath that your chest, your belly, everything just pops out when you take that breath. And if you take a couple of those, you'll immediately feel some of the tension, the anxiousness. It'll dissipate. One reason is because your body is getting the air it needs. Another way that you can do this is um, talk it out. One of the fastest ways to get your anxiety out of you is simply to share it with another person. But sometimes it stresses you to share it so you don't share it, right? And instead you go, maybe you pull away, you disappear, you, you maybe medicate. A lot of people just go medicate their anxieties and emotions. They just try to numb them. They'll drink, they'll, you know, do marijuana, but they're doing what they can to get rid of this anxiety and to relax. By the way, others are taking pharmaceutical pills that are coming from their doctor, right? One might be legal, one's illegal, but the the point, I guess, behind it is we're still using some other method, a drug, to manage our emotion and our anxiety, It's needed. I get it for some. I get it. Um, I personally would suggest you go to the legal form because you're probably going to have less anxiety, right, than chasing down the illegal form. But everyone should try to find a person or be the person that someone that you care about can share and ask to. Uh, Think about it. Do you have somebody you can talk out your most difficult things in life? Because if you don't, then you're going to stuff them. And when you stuff them, it's going to probably make you more anxious and usually more or less likely that you're going to go act and do what you need to do. And then when anxious people don't go do what they need to do, they start to get depressed because they're not cutting it. They're not cutting it. Um, An activity that you might want to do is just find that one person you can share your deep feelings and concerns with, track them down, And even tell them, look, you're my, you're kind of my go-to person on some of this, and I don't want to burden you. I don't want to overdo it, but could we just plan a time to meet every couple of weeks and talk? Or however often that it works out for both of you. Another way to get some of the anxiety out is to write it out. One of my favorite activities with my clients is when they're feeling stressed, they've got a lot on their mind. If they've got stuff they've got to do, go write it down. Write your to-do list. Make a big, fat, nasty, gnarly to-do list. But some of the things aren't part of a to-do list. It's just feelings you're feeling. You're feeling overwhelmed. Your thoughts are swirling around in your mind. And what I'd suggest to my clients that they do is they write what they're feeling. Whatever they're thinking, they write it out. Like, holy cow, this job's driving me crazy. If I have one more person do this, I'm going to go crazy. Write your feelings out. And then what I ask them to do is write another line as they're writing. Instead of writing on a new line every time, write write on the same line over the same sentence you wrote earlier. And then on the third time, go do it a third time on the same line. So you're going to write a sentence three times on the same line. And what's cool about it is it gets all the ideas out, the thoughts out. It gets the energy out, the emotion out without ever um, – without making it readable. So you can pretty much say whatever you need to say. It also releases the energy because it, it takes energy to write. So by the time you're done getting that energy out, whew, it's out of you. You're tired. You're exhausted. Powerful. Another tool: think it out. You can sometimes think your anxieties away by simply, you know, being realistic and gathering data instead of just automatically taking the negative thoughts of the fears of the future and this pressurized world. Start using a, you know, a part of your brain to actually evaluate your thinking. Notice your thoughts. Go through what you're thinking in your head. Okay, so that's a negative thought. What's another way to look for this? Another way to think it out is to look for more evidence. Usually when you talk to somebody that's anxious, they don't have all the evidence of what's going on because they've only collected the fearful evidence. But what I would always ask my son who was suffering with this, I'd say, can you give me some examples of where you're doing really well at school? And amazingly, there was an abundance of answers. And it starts to let his cognitive thinking override some of his emotion. Another tool that I think is super powerful is to turn your anxiety out. A lot of anxiety, I believe, is just we're so self-focused because, you know, we're collapsing in on ourselves. And what we might want to try to do is find a way to serve our way out of this anxiety. Get out of yourself and go start offering yourself your tools, your resources, your help, your guidance, Offer to serve others. And as you offer to serve others, you get that great, happy neurotransmitter. Dopamine starts to make you feel good. Anyway, folks, it's a tough game. I'm not saying it's easy, but I am saying there are other answers. There's four right there. I got many, many more, and uh, they're yours, and they're free. Start there. Or get online and start researching it. We'll take a break. That's the Coach's Corner. We'll be right back.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the
2: Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show, hour number three of the program. This is the show where we give you what you need to live longer lives. (laughs)
4: Live healthier lives, happier lives. I love, I love lives. this part of the show. When you're trying to express what this show's about. Yeah. And you always seem to... Somebody needs to. ...have to think about it.
2: Well, it's just... It seems
4: like I'm the only one on the show that knows what we're doing. Really? What it's about. The rest of you think it's about... People always ask, and I'm like, uh, well... It's about we f- life.
2: I, can't, I don't know how to say it any more plainly. We are the life... We are your. We are your um, your owner's manual for life. Mm. We give you the information you need to fix the parts of your life that need fixing.
4: That's what we're about. So then, then there's Put moments where meme. I think maybe you overstate what the show's about. I think, I think that's, that's interesting. Justifying no. himself in the show a, a little, little yeah. bit. Yeah. No, here's what
2: I think oh, okay. is happening. Okay. I don't think I'm overstating. I think we're just all under-delivering it,
4: <laughs> you know? Really? <laughs> wow, that's an
2: indictment. <laughs> hey, um, we got a great day today. Today, by the way, is Pink Day. Uh, my favorite color. Wonderful singer. But it has nothing to do with a singer. No? Pink, pink exclamation point just upside down. No just the color. No charities involved. And I'm, spot- I'm sporting my beautiful pink shirt with mm-hmm. blue... I think I'm looking pretty good, I must say. Uh, also, it's Let It Go Day, a day we let things go. Huh. Mm-hmm. And we've got a true blue hero coming up, a real hero. I'm not talking about, you know, some of these, uh, you know, people that act like heroes but aren't heroes. But mm. this is a real hero that's, that stopped a, a gunman,
4: cold turkey. At an IHOP. At an IHOP ruining do you think he gets like free pancakes yeah we'll have to ask
2: we'll find out uh we'll be talking uh hopefully i mean this is you know he's a hero so heroes sometimes they're flying around saving other people
4: not that kind of hero
2: sherman fleek will be joining us um he's a retired lieutenant lieutenant colonel sherman fleek hero of the day in you know in the flesh well over the phone on the phone in the flesh yeah We'll be talking about all of that, plus headlines, plus the good buddies from BYU Sports Nation will be on the show in a little bit uh, to talk about what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Tons of fun, lots of stories, but first let's get to Caitlin Thomas and find out uh, the headlines around the country. What's up, Caitlin? <laughs>
3: Well, it's just in Mad The U.S. Supreme Court split four to four Thursday over a challenge to President Obama's immigration policy, a result that prevents the administration from putting the program into effect during the rest of his term. Announced in late 2014, it would shield more than four million people from deportation, but lower courts blocked its implementation after Texas and 25 other states sued, claiming the president had no power to order the changes. So today, the death of Anton- Antonin Scalia left the Supreme Court evenly divided on the issue. So today's ties vote means the justices were unable to announce a ruling, and outcome that leaves in place the lower court rulings against enforcing the plan. With 11 million undocumented migrants living in the U.S., the administration argued that it's impossible to deport everyone here illegally. The policy was based on setting priorities, concentrating on criminals and terrorists and deferring removal for others who have established ties to the U.S. No surprise, but Bernie Sanders says he knows he will not be leading the Democratic ticket for president in 2016 in his most explicit admit of admission of defeat to Hillary Clinton. Yet, the Vermont senator told C-SPAN, quote, it doesn't appear that I'm going to be the nominee, adding a subtle wink and a slight smile as he explained that he may or may not have a speaking slot at the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia. In the same interview, Sanders rejected Donald Trump's recent overtures to his supporters, saying he doubts many people will take the presumptive Republican nominee up on his offer. The brutal heat wave sweeping the western U.S. is making it that much harder for firefighters to combat two wildfires, fire, wildfires that sparked Monday on the outskirts of Los Angeles. California's year long drought and recent high winds have further fueled the flames. As of Wednesday, the twin wildfires in the Angeles National Forest were 0% contained and covered a collective area of 5,400 acres. More than 600 per- personnel are working to combat the fire, and more are expected to be brought in on Wednesday. Over 12,000 people have been evacuated because of these fires. And finally, Matt, an 18-year-old Ohio woman has died of a rare infection she contracted Mm. while whitewater rafting. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said the woman, Lauren Seitz, likely died from exposure to a brain-eating amoeba. Oh, boy. Check that out. Only about 10 cases of the illness are reported each year, though they are almost always fatal. She is thought to have been exposed to the organism when her raft overturned in Charlotte, North Carolina. The U.S. National Whitewater Center, where she went whitewater rafting, issued a statement about her death, assuring that all of its water is disinfected to inactivate the deadly amoeba. Health officials are carrying out an inspection of the site as we speak. So there you go. Brain-eating amoeba. Happy Thursday. Uh, Look out for those.
2: That's sad. That is tragic. Thank you for the news, though. Now we know. Boil your water. Uh, Speaking of brain-eating
4: amoebas. What? What? Isn't there something new coming out at Burger King? Yeah. Whenever I see new food, mm-hmm. I like to run up by you to see if it's I something love. you would like to sample. And we by talk the way, Oreos I, think things the like that. I am the
2: healthiest human ever known to man.
4: There you go. The Whopper, one of the greatest inventions of all time. You enjoy the Whopper. I enjoy the Whopper. Well, alongside a Whopper, their new product is called Mac in Cheetos. <gasps> Sounds... Good. They're deep-fried sticks of macaroni and cheese encrusted in Cheeto-flavored breading. Oh, that sounds so good! And by the way, an angel
2: just got a McCheeto. Mm. What are they calling them? Mac Mac and Cheetos.
4: Mac and Cheetos. I wonder if McDonald's is going to be mad about this because they're using the word Mac. Two was like this cost you like two forty-nine for a five-pack. They're similar to mozzarella sticks, yeah. Except inside is except with mac and cheese without mozzarella. outside is Cheetos, yeah. And -hmm. you just—they also have some other food that we haven't talked about. Well, hold on, let's keep talking about this one because this—I
2: don't want to move away. No, okay. This may this is huge. So it's kind of a little Cheeto roll fry. Okay. No, it's Mm -hmm. a it's a it's a mac and cheese fry. What do you call it? like a?
4: It stick, looks. It looks like a mozzarella stick, stick, but encrusted in Cheeto. See love. The, the Cheeto dusting on the outside, and inside is Ugh. mac and
2: cheese. It is the perfect combination. If only you had, I don't know, some prime rib next to it. That would be. That is okay. Five for how much? Like two fifty. Boy, for five. and affordable. <laughs>
4: And portable. And portable. It Comes in a little cup. You can eat them while you're driving at 70 miles an hour. So at Burger King, they also sell hot dogs now. Yes, oh, they I did sell not. something okay. called the enormous burrito.
2: Ooh, that sounds
4: big. And they sell chicken fried rings. It's hold on. It's the <laughs> it's the enormous burrito. The
2: enormous. Sir, did you want a burrito? No, I want the enormous one. <laughs> They're all enormous, sir.
4: <laughs> and instead of. Uh, uh, what are they? You know, onion rings. Mm-hmm. They have chicken fried rings. Well, but no, we're going with the Cheeto dusters. Well, you can go with the Cheeto dusters too for the, if you want your mac and cheese on a stick or in stick form, yeah. I guess it would be how to –
2: When you go back to the McCheeto thing, do you get the you get those orange fingers when you eat them?
4: I imagine you do. You'd have to lick those. I, I, why would you go with the Cheeto branding unless you get orange Cheeto fingers? Yeah. Oh. This is sounding so good. Are they available at all stores right now? It says they're they're limited as to where they're out, but there's some stores that are selling them. They'll be sold for about 8 weeks or until okay. supplies run out. Okay, I'm going to need you Terry to cancel our meetings after the show. I got this thing that
2: just came up. Okay, you have the thing? I got a thing I got to take care of. I got some people. That Jump in the knew- car and go.
4: Yeah. Will and you be returning?
2: I'll probably be returning, but I'll I'll probably be sleepy. <laughs> and I'll have orange dust all over my fingers. Oh, that sounds good. Oh, that sounds so good. Hey, um just another little heads up for you. Just if you if you you know, it's we do this fun segment called uh, coaching the con. Bad boys, bad boys. What's you going to do? So here's the deal. Two men break into a zoo. It sounds like a joke. Two men break into a zoo uh, in North Dakota. But only one had his hand bitten by a brown bear. After sticking his arm through the bars of the animal's enclosure, police Said Sunday. Police in Minot said that they responded late on Saturday to a report that David Shepard, 21, came to the hospital emergency room saying he had been attacked by a bear. They said an investigation showed that Shepard and Cody Cage, 23, climbed the fence to the Roosevelt Park Zoo after it closed and they were walking around the grounds when they came upon the bear enclosure. Shepard stuck his arm through the bars of the enclosure aiming to entice one of the bears to come closer. Here's a little audio. Here, bear. Here, bear. Come here, boy. Come here, buddy. Okay. Rule number one. Don't mess with bears. Here, buddy. The bear bit his right hand. (laughs) Police said in a statement posted on Facebook, the two men who police said were under the influence of alcohol at the time, which, unbelievable, unbelievable, uh, are now facing felony trespassing charges. And the guy's lucky, by the way, to have his hand. But can you imagine the frustration he must have? Because he's like, what? He didn't bite you? You are so lucky! The bear's sitting there, any, meeny, miny, mo. Which of these drunkards should have to go? <laughs> so what uh, we found as we did some searching into the story, and uh, as we're prone to do, we like to show video on the radio show, is we found some new promotional videos. This promotional video, um, it's just it's just got a beautiful bear in there, and um, and a man trying to teach the importance of bear safety and staying away from bears.
5: All the bear necessities, the simple bear oh, necessities. Jeez, oh, he bit that you get guy. your worries oh. and your. <laughs> <strength>. <laughs> oh.
2: Okay, turn that off. Ouch! That was violent. I don't remember the Bear
4: Necessities song being that violent. Yeah, Baloo never did that. He floated in the water. And... Yeah. Did you hear those bones crunch? He's more worried about honey. Yeah. Not, not you know, bear necessities. chewing on people. One of the necessities
2: of a bear is that you keep your hand out of his enclosure. That's true. And to quit trying to entice him. Mm. Know what I mean? Are you with me? Have you ever stuck your hand in a wild animal's enclosure? No.
4: Chicken. It's a wild animal. What are they going to do? Are you afraid? I need my arm. It's, such, it's an important part you of are you know, me. Such a chicken.
2: Hey, do you hear about this boat from the 19th century found under a New Jersey home? A boat? Hmm. Like buried? Yeah. Oh. Workers were raising a waterfront home in New Jersey, and they had a nautical discovery a 44 foot wooden boat from the 19th century. The 12-foot-wide vessel, its rudder fully intact, was uh, found beneath Eileen Scanlon's Highlands Bungalow on Wednesday. The boat was likely used to transport coal and other good goods along the uh, local waterways. Huh. You know, people have been talking about, hey, I think she's got a boat in her basement for years. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Scanlon got a peek of what lo- what it looked
4: like a it's rudder. One, of those, one of those stories around the neighborhood. Yeah. They got a boat down there. They
2: got a boat underneath their house. It's in the crawl space underneath their house, and before they bought the home, they saw the rudder. They saw that, but they didn't quite know what it was. It's built from a three-inch thick wooden uh, boat.
4: 18-inch huh. iron nails go through the boat. We had like the spooky house or the, the, old, the, the older guy that didn't like kids or yeah. something. They Get off my lawn, you know, guy. The, the, the house with the scary dog, but never the house with the boat in the basement. Yeah,
2: it's weird. Well, I, I've actually known somebody that, that built a boat In the basement, but Mm. then um, had a hard time getting it out. Yeah. It's like the whole
4: boat in the bottle and ship in the bottle. How does that work?
2: Right. I mean, then, you know, you just hope everybody wants the boat in the basement when you try to sell the house.
4: By the way, there's a boat downstairs. It's a feature. Yeah. We've got a great play boat. We call it the play boat. We thought we'd do that instead of an entertainment room. Do you have
2: kids? No, we wanted a really big media room down there. Uh, There's a boat.
4: You guys like boats?
2: <laughs> yeah, Larry got a little excited and forgot to uh, take the boat out while he was building it. You know how it is when you get into a project and you forget. Anywho, we will, uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, folks, we're going to be talking to a true blue, uh, a real true hero. Uh, Sherman Fleek will be joining us. He basically single-handedly stopped an armed robbery and has now been uh, given a really high honor from the uh, head of the military, the, the Army. It's a pretty big story. We'll take a break. Stick with us. We're talking heroes so you can see the good in the world. There's good people out there, and you're one of them. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, imagine waiting to be seated for breakfast at a restaurant when suddenly you hear a loud noise and you look up and you see the place is being robbed. What's your reaction? Do you lay low? Do you hide? You know, not to create a problem for people. Maybe try a little 911 call. Well, our next guest, retired Lieutenant Colonel Sherman Fleek, didn't do any of those things. He stepped in, and he made a difference. He's a true blue uh, hero of the day, and I'm sure he doesn't like to be called that, but here to talk to us about his heroic act is uh, Lieutenant Colonel Sherman Fleek. Thank you, Sherman, for being with us.
7: Well, it's an honor, Mr. Townsend.
2: This is such a cool story. When I saw it, I thought, I've got to meet this man. Um, We need to give some background. You have served, you're a retired Army Lieutenant Colonel, you served 25 years, and uh you were uh you're currently in uh the command historian for the United States Military Academy at West Point is that right
7: This is true this is yes guilty on all cases.
2: <laughs> now talk to me about what happened um you you're you're at an IHOP you by the way it sounds like as I was reading you were doing some service visiting um a widow or a widower
7: I um I went to Sacramento the day before. is last May, Saturday the 30th. My, my son was married in the Sacramento Temple, so that's interesting. Yeah. And um, so next door, about 40 miles away, is the town of Fairfield. And I was flying out the next day, Sunday, after the wedding uh, to Utah. And living in Fairfield was 93-year-old widow of Ed Michael, Medal of Honor recipient, World War II. He was a B-17 pilot. Oh, wow. And so his 93-year-old widow, Louise, is still around with us today. That's He's awesome. To both
6: of us. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, and by the way, <laughs> yeah. tell him Sherman, as you're, before you go on, you wrote, you've written books about saints of valor, you know, Mormon, LDS people who have won the Medal of Honor recipient. So you've studied a lot of people that have won a Medal of Honor.
7: Yeah, I'm – yes, this is true. Um, Saints of Valor, about our 12 Latter-day Saints, received the Medal of Honor, and her husband was one of them. Uh, He joined the church later, 19 – they married in 1959. He joined the church in 74. Um, He died in 94. And um, so she had helped me with documents and photos for Chapter 5 of my Medal of Honor book, Saints of Valor. And so I'd never met her, and I had hours to kill. I can't believe I said that, kill.
2: <laughs> yeah, hours to spend. <laughs>
7: <laughs> and uh, so I arranged with her, and so we went to church that morning, and we're driving back to her place, and I said, Louise, you know, you don't, I don't expect you to make me lunch. Why don't we stop at it and grab something to eat? So we stopped into this IHOP. Oh, wow. I said, there you go. That's what happened.
2: So that sets the tone. You guys are sitting in the IHOP, and, uh, and then you, you hear a noise. You hear somebody making a ruckus.
7: We are sitting in the um, foyer area where you wait for a seat. Yeah. Know? It was uh, 1230, busy day. And, yeah, uh, all of a sudden I hear all this noise, and I see people peeling off, and two young ladies run out the door right past me. So I'm sitting on a bench seat next to Louise, and we're right next to the glass foyer doors. And I look about 10 or 12 feet away to, uh, well, I'll use a military term, but my ten o'clock position on uh-huh. my left, and I see this guy with a nine millimeter a pistol. Oh so I'm boy! Soldier. I know I know firearms. Yeah, and he's pointing it at the chest of the cashier.
2: Whoa! What, what did uh-huh. you? What went through your head? What were you thinking?
7: Uh, I really didn't think. Uh, I looked at Louise. She looked at me. And, uh, I just launched. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, there was a thought or two, perhaps, I recall, that, uh, I'm behind him. He doesn't see me. I can take him down. Yeah. And the other thought was someone could get hurt. You know, I'm a realist. So, yeah. But I launched, and, and that's what happened. I
1: you
2: tackled I him down. tackled
7: him from behind.
2: <laughs> and just brought the arms down. And did he fall down with the gun? Did the gun fall out of his hand? What, did, what happened with the gun?
7: Well, we, um... I hit him as hard as I can from behind. I didn't have, I didn't have any plan. I yeah, just, yeah. You just hit him. I just, I just him. charged him. You know, it's been 30 years since I've done combatives, and military people know what I mean by that—hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. Right? So, and I'm older, so uh, you know, I don't have that finesse anymore. I just hit him as hard as I could. He went over the counter, on top of the counter. I got him into kind of a half Nelson headlock with my arms under, you know, under his yeah. arm. I'm trying to shake the pistol loose. Oh my heavens! Like the younger guy. And he counters on me, so he comes up, rises, we twist, and the next thing I know, the pistol's pointing right at my chest. Okay. So with everything I had, uh, all my strength as a 59-year-old then, I pushed the pistol in his hands and arms away, and in so doing, we both fell onto the other bench seat, which was right next to the cashier's stand. It was clear. And as soon as I hit this guy, the cashier wisely dodged behind the counter.
2: Smart. Good. Was anyone else stepping in by now? Nope. Come on. Really? No. <laughs> no. They're just watching you wrestle a guy with a gun. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah, you're just getting... No, you, you go for it. Sherm, you got it. <laughs> wow.
7: <laughs> well, that no, no one, uh, no one stepped forward. I didn't... Of course, I didn't.
2: You were think just, about that. no, you I were fighting it, for your life. A month
7: or two later, someone finally asked me that question but Did anyone jump in the helmet? I said, No, not at all.
2: Wow. Did I
7: don't expect 93 year old Louise to do it? Yeah,
2: no, Louise was, <laughs> she's like, You got this one, sure. She's cheering you on. <laughs> Except what's funny is she probably would have if she, you know, had the ability. Um, what do you think? So then, so then you uh, you just kept holding him. What happened to the well, gun? how did you finally? We're
7: looking for the pistol on the bench. And then we come up together, and somehow we separate amazingly. And he uh, he ran out the door
2: mm. with the gun. With the gun. Wow! What did everyone say? What I mean, your heart had to have been racing, and yeah, you no, know, tons of chemicals on board. <laughs> Fight or <laughs> well, flight kicked happens.
7: in. Yeah, you're human. Well. It's not that I'm special, but I've been through a lot of training. Uh, I was a pilot for 20 years of my 25 years in the Army, so I've seen some interesting uh, (laughs) situations. Um, I have encountered or watched or have been on the scene of eight or ten accidents, Mm -hmm. military training, fatalities, serious injuries, you never get used to this stuff. It's like, you know, people work in the ER. Yeah. But uh, you just, you, you learn, you, you get the ability to where you can overcome your fear, and there's always fear, and you just, you, you act. You, you, you respond.
2: You, you, that's so, really all you did, right? I mean, you just responded in, almost instantly.
7: Yeah, it wasn't uh, a textbook example how to disarm a guy in our right. uh, military training, but uh, I basically broke up the robbery, which no one was hurt, so thank God for that.
2: Have they found the guy since?
7: Nope. Nope, he's still at large.
2: Now, and then all of a sudden, you're all done. Uh, the guy's gone. I'm assuming police arrive. It's probably a tense scene. What did, what did everybody else say?
7: Well, Susie as as ran out the door. I'm, I'm standing there and I'm thinking, geez, is he going to come back? Or right. Something? And I walk over to Louise and I said, Are you okay? And she says, I'm fine, Sherman. How are you? And I said, <laughs> I'm okay. And then the cashier came around the vent from the cashier um, booth, walked up, shook my hand, and said, um, Thank you. You saved my life. And I said, Well, I don't know anything about that. So. I'm reaching in my pocket for my cell phone, thinking 911. Yeah. And then the owner lady came up and she grabbed my arm and thanked me. And I said, "Hey, has anyone called the police?" And oh, yeah, they're on their way. And so, uh, you know, I'm still thinking maybe you'll come back. Who knows? Yes. Yeah. We'll be here. And uh, I just came from church and I looked down at my tie, and I had this Maroni tie pin. Yeah. And it's missing. It's gone. Oh no! And I'm it's... looking around on the floor for my tie pin. <laughs> Ten seconds after this thing happened, I it's you know, stuck just, in the his back. Of mine is a pilot, you know.
2: Yeah, uh, Sherman, <laughs> hang on. We're going to take a break, Sherman. I want to come okay. back and finish this story. I want to find out where the tie tack went. Did it? It's probably in the criminal's back wedged in his spine. We'll take a break. More with this true blue hero, Sherman Fleek. By the way, Secretary of the Army gave him a, gave him an award, the Secretary of the Army Award for Valor, because of this. When we come back, we'll find out about what that was like, uh, especially as somebody that has been studying Medal of Honor recipients. Now we have a, a, an, a an Award for Valor recipient. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. Today's good is named Sherman Fleek. We'll be right back. Friends of the matt townsend show joining us is retired lieutenant colonel sherman fleek and uh he is a true blue hero uh again he probably doesn't see himself that way but he received and was awarded the secretary of the army award for valor after he stopped and stopped an armed robbery some guy at ihop pulls a gun sticks a beretta to some guy's chest and uh Lieutenant retired Lieutenant Colonel Sherman Fleek jumps on the guy's back and game on, takes him for a little ride. Eventually, has the gun pointed it back at him, and then uh, a little more wrestling later, the guy ends up getting up and running out of the out of the IHOP. Whew, amazing! So, uh, Sherman Fleek, welcome back to the show. Thanks for telling us this story. Well, thank you. This is honestly, I mean, I'm, is it weird for you to be called a hero?
7: Absolutely.
2: Yeah. You just you just did what you could do, right that and you, you didn't even think about it, so there's nothing selfish about this. You just jumped and did what you could do.
7: Uh, yeah, I just took action.
2: yeah um, is and, and then what's it like when you get a call from the military being were you in the military at the time when you got the call no. for the award? Okay?
7: Oh no, no, I retired in 2002 uh, oh. 25 years of active service.: there you go. So and I've you, been here at West Point as a federal civilian for uh, seven years, and I've been in the federal service for eleven years. Wow! So I'm responsible for the history of West Point. I do teach, but I'm not on faculty. And it'd be like your school, my alma mater, BYU, hiring someone. Yeah,
2: like an to adjunct.
7: Record the uh, institutional history of BYU. That's oh,
2: neat. What I do. Well, and it's powerful because here you, you're, you are at West Point, and all of a sudden you get a call from the Secretary of the Army who wants to give you the award for valor. What goes through your mind?
7: Well, I it was a documentation thing. Well, I about three months after it happened, a lieutenant colonel who works for our lieutenant general, three-star general, the superintendent. So previous superintendents are guys like Douglas MacArthur. Oh, wow. William Westmoreland. <laughs> Maxwell D. Taylor. Yeah. And um, so on. So the general's uh, XO, executive officer, lieutenant colonel, walks to my office and says, Sherman, we need the Department of the Army's uh, photo of you. We need your bio. We know, list all your awards, what you did on active duty, this, that. And I said, well, geez, what's going on? He says, well, we're, we're uh, nominating you for the Secretary of the Army Award for Valor. Oh, wow. And I looked at him and I thought, what? <laughs> <laughs> now, I'd, I'm a I'm a military historian so I'm supposed to know these things and I'd heard about it. it was it was created in March of 2002 there's a Department of Defense one army navy air force they all have their mm-hmm. own now in reference to the 9/11 attacks Oh especially at the Pentagon so the Department of Defense and others decided hey you know we need to recognize valor of our civilians not just the those in uniform
2: Right and so, so there's it's only
7: been about seven or nine people receive this award so far. I, wow. I don't know the exact number.
2: And and then you receive it. Uh, how? What was the ceremony like? Where did you receive it?
7: It was in the Pentagon. Secretary of the Army presented him himself to me. There were other awards that day for uh, retirement and at this very senior level. But um, yeah, it was pretty interesting.
2: say. <laughs> well, and, and in a way too. Um, <laughs> uh special what was your family thinking what what do your kids say do they does, do they, do your grandkids call you grandpa hero what do they call you do they play well, do one, they play uh, guns grandson. around you
7: i have one grandson <laughs> he's not quite talking yet okay. he's 11 months so yeah uh, in time well my oldest son served two combat tours in iraq wow he's a police officer in uh richmond and uh virginia yeah and um one day I was just talking to him, and I said, Wesley, you know, I've studied all these guys, Medal of Honor, Mervyn Bennion, uh, Thomas Niebuhr, Latter-day Saints, and all the others, you know, uh, Audie Murphy, and all these folks who received Medal of Honor and other awards. And I said, I just I don't see the correlation here. And he said, Dad, you know, you acted, and uh, if you had the opportunity to stop that robbery, and you didn't, and he would have shot someone. You could have never lived with yourself. Yeah. So you did the right thing. Yeah. So this award in the military is equivalent to what we call the Soldier's Medal, which was established in 1926. So this soldier, there's an Airman's Medal, and there's a Sailor's Medal for the other services. Mm-hmm. All right? So this award is the, the only award of, of valor um, for uh, peacetime. Okay. I mean, you can get a wartime, but it's not against an enemy. Right, right. Okay, a guy runs into a house, a soldier, he's off-duty, house is on fire, pulls out three kids, okay? So that that kind of action. Yeah, yeah. You see what I mean?
2: Well, you, and, the, and the amazing thing is you – I think it couldn't have happened to a better person, too, because historically you understand, you understand its relevance and its importance – and um, and two, the fact that they're honoring, they're honoring people like this. I mean, I think that's it's it's powerful. I, the story hit me because you're just an average guy, you know, and just did what you could do in the moment. And then I we were just talking in the break. I wonder if we would do that. You know, it's again, you were 59, I think you said. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. you didn't even think about that. You just like, I got it. Jump in. Let's try something and then a gun a beretta pointed at your chest are you kidding me yeah well yeah uh
7: i know it's kind of strange it's the most interesting 12 seconds of my life i
2: bet i bet what what would you just tell the rest of us first of all and let me just say too thank you so much for your service i mean seriously we have men like you women like uh, that you work with that are so willing to risk everything to just be in the service so thank you and for your son um what, what would you tell the rest of us uh, when it comes to just being there for each other?
7: I suppose just the aspect of um, being raised in a culture, in a community, and in a, and in a nation that um, inculcates us with values that uh, other lives are more important than ours at times. And that, you know, you you can approach problems as we do in the Army or any business and so on, you know, with the uh, cold-hearted calculus and this is right, this is wrong, this is the cost and all that. But sometimes you just – you have to just screw all that and act. Right. Just go for it.
2: Just do it. Well, we appreciate you. I
7: jumped out of uh, airplanes 39 times, you know, and did all that stuff um i you just learn to deal with um yeah. these situations and not that they always go perfect
2: no well no and and you know and yeah and this could have gone even other ways and but it still was the right thing to do that's what's weird about it huh it's right even though it's strange to have to do it, and it and it, boy, blessed it turned out it turned out all right. Uh, well, again, Lieutenant, retired Lieutenant Colonel Sherman Fleek, thank you so much for your your bravery and your willingness to just serve this country and keep serving it even now that you're retired.
7: Well, thank you, Matt. I appreciate it.
2: You bet, everybody. Also, go check out, go find his books. Just look up Sherman Fleek. He's got three books out there. One of them is called Saints of Valor: Mormon Medal of Honor Recipients. He is uh, the recipient of the Secretary of the Army Award for Valor, which is, a, is an award for civilians that have uh, you know acted out with bravery. That's what it's all about, folks. He's a hero, and there are good people in the world. Again, you are one of them. Keep uh, Keep looking out for people, and let's take Sherman's advice. Just remember, people are important. They're worth, they're worth uh, serving. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, my friends. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Let's shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. See if they can uh, sing this song for us. Welcome back, guys. Hello. What's up, Doc? Do you like this music? Uh,
1: typically, yeah.
2: Does it make Does it make you tap your toe and make you want to start singing?
1: Typically, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, but not not today. Typically.
1: No, I'm not feeling it this morning. But normally, yeah. are,
2: are you under the weather? No. Are you, oh, not in the, are you mad? Mode. Are you mad at Spencer? I'm in a
1: competitive mood. Are you? Yeah. <gasps> are you? We're going, to, we're going to have a fantasy draft today. When is Jerem not in a competitive mood? So the competitive mood. juices are flowing.
2: Holy so, cow. So we got to get you some. We got to get you pumped up then for the big competition.
1: Yeah, if you could play some M&M, that'd be excellent as
2: well. I do have a game for you. <laughs> I have a game that might get your competition going.
1: Let's hear it.
2: Are you ready? I'm going to play a sound. And you two have to guess what the sound is. Okay. Okay. We call it the Radio Rorschach test. It's like an inkblot blot text, test, but we're going to use audio. Okay. Are you ready? Here is the sound. Uh, you have to tell me what this sound is. Mmm.
1: Catapult with a pie.
2: We will give. Okay. Catapult with a pie. That's a very good guess. Can I have one more time? Yeah, Spencer. Here you go. Oh yeah, that was a good one. Oh
5: my goodness. Uh, <laughs> uh, boomerang, an exploding boomerang.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no. Are you serious? Let me just let you hear it one more time because it sounds obvious to me. There you go. Okay. Nothing. Okay. Uh, what it is sounds like an egg. It does sound like an egg, but it's not. Not an egg. It is a woman tossing a toilet water soaked sandwich at a court officer. Duh. Okay. A woman uh, was arrested for soaking a sandwich and then throwing it at a trial court uh, officer. <laughs> and that's the sound of it.
5: What, what is that sound? Really?
2: What do you mean? What, what, what do you mean? What is that sound? Really? That is a when sandwich you
5: that from your sound effect software. <laughs> what was the description?
2: Let's find out uh, from our software uh, expert, uh, or our uh, sound expert, Ben. What was the name of that? I had to make that one special. Yeah. That's
1: exactly right. That was custom ordered. You that had was... to custom make that.
2: You, do you think they have a wet sandwich, toilet water soaked sandwich <laughs> sound?
1: I don't know. Yeah. We're, yeah. Maybe there's a, a market there that we're...
2: Oh, yeah. I think you're totally perfect. missing it. Uh, by, by the way, the rule is don't... Throw wet toilet-soaked sandwiches at court officers, or they kind of get mad and they lock Depends. you up. Depends, mm-hmm. they deserve it or not? Yeah, I, if they I deserve rule it, it out. You know, you guys ready for another test? Mm-hmm, Here's sure. test number two. This sound—it uh, seems, it seems, um, it seems easy, but it's it's harder than you think. Here we go.
1: Oh, this is easy. This is Mac and Cheetos.
2: Okay. Wow. How did you know that? How on everyone earth, Jerm came
1: out with mac everyone's, and cheetos. Everyone's <laughs> discussing <laughs> the <laughs> mac and tra- cheetos. It's trending.
2: How did you know that?
1: We finally jumped in. <laughs> yes, we did it. Did you? <laughs> we
2: did you know? Did it! Spencer, this did is
1: you? for you, Cleveland. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you love Cleveland. That was nice that you did that for Cleveland. Uh, so, what do you think about a deep-fried stick of macaroni and cheese encrusted in Cheeto-flavored breading?
5: I think that is a brilliant, I, brilliant I, I try it. An idea. I, I yeah. think it's
2: from heaven.
1: Is it out now?
2: Like, I, I or don't is know. It in the future. Well, but
1: could we go today? Well,
2: here's the deal. Interestingly, I had to cancel my appointments. Because I had an emergency appointment that came up after I found out about these.
1: <laughs> it's funny how that works.
2: It's so weird. So I'm going to get in my vehicle and I will go start scouting the neighborhood. Uh, you know, Burger Kings. Did you hear what else came out?
5: No, please enlighten us.
2: Mm. This is one that totally reminds me of you guys. It's called the Enormous Burrito. It's not just big guys. It's egnormous. And it's Egg-nor- got eggs in it.
1: Enomenous. Yeah. <laughs>
2: It's, it's, ignominious. It's huge. Uh, so you can go get an enormous burrito. That's coming out this year. Also, uh, you can get a hot dog that they're calling it like a Whopper dog. By the way.
5: These are all at Burger King? Mm-hmm.
2: Have you ever seen a Whopper dog? I try not. Boy.
5: <laughs> you, you know think? what I just thought of when you asked that? What? I thought you were saying, have you ever seen a Whopper dog?
7: Dog. Like you're calling Jerem Doug? Like, hey, dog.
2: Have hey, <laughs> you ever seen a Whopper <laughs> Um, and so – and also chicken fries rings. So instead of onion rings, you can now get chicken fries rings.
5: I'm okay with that.
2: Does that sound good? Yeah. I, don't. You, wouldn't you rather have the uh, macaroni and cheese stick instead of the chicken fries rings?
5: Burger King needs to do these things because a place like In-N-Out Burger exists.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
5: And they dominate the simplicity market.
2: I'm with you. I'm totally – So
5: now it's all gimmicky.
2: By the way, but think of the mozzarella sticks, though. I mean, I personally think it's got to be better for you than a mozzarella stick because a mozzarella stick is just a thick, dense block of cheeseness. <laughs> I am the healthiest human ever known to man. These happen to be You're about – own going to drop? Uh, <laughs> totally. I have my own food drop. <laughs> Don't you? Come on.
1: Can we play that again?
2: Yeah. I am the healthiest human ever known to man to man there you go i
1: like the cadence of that you like that yes Yes.
2: i speak the truth on my show
1: i am the healthiest man known bring down this wall bring down mr gorbachev bring down this cheese wall
2: exactly. Yeah, bring, yeah. never mind. Bring, get that cheese out of my impacted bowel. Um, <laughs> you can't have that much cheese is what I'm saying, right? So 310 calories. By the way, only 249 a five-pack. So I'm thinking you could have five of them, five five-packs. That's 25 mac and cheese logs. Ah, hmm. uh, and an angel just got wings. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's what we do on our show. You you guys, pretty exciting. You guys do anything on your show? That's fun.
1: Today's a fun show. We're going to do a fantasy draft for BYU Hoops in the spirit of the NBA draft tonight. Sweet. Kyle Collinsworth? Question mark? Drafted? Drafted? We'll we'll see tonight. I I don't think he's drafted, but he's got a shot in the second round. Cool. Cool. He's had a lot of workouts. We'll tell you just how many, and how many this week. He's Mm -hmm. been he's been uh, to L.A., New York, and L.A. He went. Sorry, California. He went from Sacramento
5: to New York. And then from New York back to L.A. the
1: next day. Wow! So he's getting some attention. I don't think that he'll be drafted though.
2: Okay. So, so but, he's, get, but, but they, get they get like trapped. they like him. They're yeah, they're calling teams, him around. There are some teams That's that good. Really that's like him. good. What they,
1: else? Uh, yeah, he tickles their fancy a little bit. You know. Pardon? Uh, excuse me. Pardon? And then uh, Taylor Sander, volleyball superstar, he's on Team USA. Is going to be in the Olympics. He'll join us live from Rome. Yeah. In uh, World League, it's competition among international teams. And then Ed Keel of the 1996 14-1 BYU Cougars will join us. He is the older brother of Brian Keel, Whole who was fun. a stud linebacker for the Cougars. Yeah. Went in Rome. He has a tremendous story about the game's winning play in the Cotton Bowl where he called out the route that Kansas State was going to uh, run. Really? To BYU's cornerback who then intercepted the ball and sealed the game.
5: He pulled a Jerem Jordan on Matt Townsend with the Mac and
1: Cheese. Yeah, he, like out of, yeah. He he out of nowhere. He pulled it out of nowhere. So he'll, he'll uh, tell us how he knew.
2: They were going to run that play. Okay. He's letting you in on the secret. Pretty cool. This is the secret. The other secret. Okay. That's a great show. I don't mm-hmm. care what you say. That's a, that's a keeper show right there. Love it. And uh, <laughs> we'll have more of these fun games um, You know, when, when you guys come back tomorrow. Just, okay?
5: get the comp- just keep the competitive juices flowing for Jerem, okay? For sure.
2: Yeah. He killed it today. I've got to get, get harder questions. I've got to get more difficult sounds. Okay, that's what I've got.
5: Let's see what he can do when it really counts on the show.
2: That's exactly right. Guys, knock him dead.
5: Wait, that really did count.
1: What are you talking about? <laughs> on our show.
2: Uh, if I, if oh, I happen
1: our show. Okay.
5: If I
2: happen to find the, the mac map, and cheese okay. logs, I'll I'll let you guys know.
1: Okay, sounds good.
5: Knock
2: dead. Bye-bye. Bye. See ya. Yeah, that was a good guess. I mean. I'm really impressed, actually. Who comes out of the blue with the mac and cheese encrusted Cheetos flavored
1: we had to send Terry to search and research about this in order to find it. Right. It's like something's not right. What avenues of information does Jerem have?
2: Well, it's almost like I think they must have a spy over here.
1: That's it. They've got a spy. Sadie's new. She's probably. Yeah.
2: Sadie's has got to watch her. Hey, um, here's a crazy uh, story that I'm waiting to have pulled up. The, there's a story about a grandma you know, so a lot of people aren't as tech savvy as they maybe want to be like a, you know, a grandma on Google. She may not know exactly how to search Google. So how fun is this that a grandma was searching Google? And anyway, this, the grandson eventually went over and was helping her on her computer. And um, it was really funny what he found out. As grandma's typing... Um The guy went and read her search, right? And the search, uh, she said, please look for this. And she wrote down what she was looking for. And then at the very end, she said, thank you very much, basically. So in her Google search, dear Google, please search for this. And thank you very much. It was the most gracious search ever performed on Google. Is that the cutest thing or what? I mean, these, these multi-generation things, it's just so darn cute. So cute. Um, anyway, pretty cool stuff. So uh, we, as you know, one of our things, we like to end with hero stories. And we just had a real true blue hero on the show with um, our guest uh, that uh, you know took on the IHOP burglar um, and uh, armed robber, Sherman Fleek. So another hero we'd like to celebrate today is Jim Goer, uh, a Jim Goer that dives into a New Jersey river and rescues a woman from a submerged car. Listen to this: the car was pulled from the water by scuba teams and a towing company, but a woman accidentally drove her car and uh, into the Passaic River in New Jersey Tuesday morning. And police say she would have drowned if a man leaving a gym across the river didn't jump into action. The 50-year-old woman from Cranford jumped a small curb on the Dock Street in Nutley, short after 8.30, and plunged into about 10 feet of water just north of DeJessa Bridge. Jason Moss was leaving the gym when someone ran past him yelling for someone to call 911. He said he quickly changed his clothes, dove into the murky water, and brought the woman out of her submerged car, then carried her to shore. He said, I think the scariest moment, I turned around at at one point to see if there were any other rescuers coming because I couldn't get the door open. At 30-year-old Moss told the NBC 4 station, emergency responders uh, treated the woman and her rescuer on the scene, transported the woman to a local hospital. She's expected to be okay. The man who was from Secaucus refused to transport, uh, be transported to the hospital. Went to an urgent care facility himself to get a tetanus shot. The car was pulled from the the water by a scuba group, scuba team. But uh, you know. Again, as a hero does, he just says, you know what? I'm not a hero. It was just more about doing the right thing. So super cool. Two heroes in one show, folks. And again, you can be a hero, too. That's why we do the show, so you can see the good out there and know that you're part of it. Really, to be a hero, all you need to be is present and be there for each other. And when the opportunity comes up, just do what you do. Do what comes natural. Um, Let's start looking out for each other, though. Heaven knows we need it in this world. We'll be back again tomorrow more ideas, more information to help you uh, lead healthier lives, live longer, feel good about what you're doing here. You've only got one life to live, folks, so let's uh, make it the best one we can. We'll talk again tomorrow. Until then, make it a great one.